roughly uh, we go history of Alcatraz and pretty much straight into escape stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we are so in sync at this point. It's like, yep, we know we're going to history and then it's all about the escapes, baby. That's the yep. good stuff. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> disobey the rules of society they send you to prison if you disobey the rules of prison they send you to us welcome to alcatraz brother welcome to salem brother This is the Dylan and Joe Basement Prison Edition Special Friday Night Podcast. (laughs) Welcome to The Rock. Today, we're going to be bringing you into the island off of the coast of the San Francisco Bay to the most infamous and famous prison in American history, Alcatraz. Also known as La Isla de los Alcatraces before they shortened it to Alcatraz. Absolutamente. Let's get into it, papi. What are you talking about today, huh? Talking about the island of the Pelicans. Isn't that what that means, right? That is correct. We're going to be talking about the island itself and how it came to be the most notorious prison in American history. The ins and outs of it, what's going down with it. I thought we'd go off, as I think you agree. We'll do our usual shtick. We'll see what the history is, where this whole thing has started. And then we'll dive into the juicy bits, the bits you've heard about, things that are, you know, legends of the prison population of Alcatraz. And I'm sure a couple of things you might not know about it, as is our way. We'll have a couple of yucks around the, around the horn. Yucks around the horn. A couple yeah. fucks around the horn, maybe. We'll see. Either see one. The commissary is open late. Yeah. Yeah. Go. I mean, it would be hard to get it on in this prison with another guy. Like, it sure would. Honestly. You'll get a wop right here, buddy. No funny business. No light in the loafers. So let's hop into it. Top right. The history of Alcatraz. Off the coast into the history of Alcatraz. So it all starts in 1775. Um, the uh, some Spaniard came and uh, decided. Uh, you're talking about uh, good old uh, Juan Manuel de Ayala. 
and he was given the property, right? And, uh, and it, it, with one with one mission to create a lighthouse. Uh, I'm talking about the, the person who actually discovered it, or I should say the European who discovered the okay. island, yep. because obviously there was thousands of people living in the area already, Native Americans. But the first person to discover the island was a Spaniard named Juan Manuel de Ayala, <laughs> who's the one who gave it the name, La Isla de los Alcatraces, or like you said, Alcatraz, meaning the island of pelicans, because there's so many goddamn birds going up there. They even said that if you shot off your pistol or your musket, so many birds would fly off the island. It looked like a hurricane, and it would be so loud you couldn't hear yourself talk. It was really the island of birds or the island of pelicans. Uh, and that was before they did give it to the person you spoke of, because at this time it was still part of the Spanish Empire. It was the, the Bear Republic of California, well before it was a state in the 1700s. I mean, 1775, the colonies aren't even declared their independence yet. And they were already talking about Alcatrazas over here. And it's funny you mentioned the Bird Island because it was it was the island of the birds, essentially, even before the Birdman got there. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he really took to it like uh, like moth to flame or like a bird to the air. Bird to the Bird Island. Birdman to Bird Island. But um... the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which ended the Mexican-American War, was in 1848. At that point. United States Army acquired it from the person who owned it at the time. I think that's when he got screwed over, whoever was holding the keys at that time, because that's when they decided they could make it a defensible position. Before that, it was for the property of Mexico. So we had no say at all. And then at that point, America comes in and go, oh, we have the California Republic now. Eh, Bay could use some cannons. And the United States military still is pretty good at it, but they were good then too, saying, let's fucking build up the fortifications here and defend this new territory we have on our Western coast of our, uh, of our new nation. But it wasn't until 1858 until the fortifications were fully built up on the island. And that had to do with building uh, structures and bunkers, uh, cannon, uh, what do you call those big batteries? Cannon. Picture yeah. of the cannon is one of the biggest, it looks like it's out of a cartoon how big the cannon is. They it's have wild. I mean, at the time, what, the way you defend your city, especially along the, the uh, ocean, as many were, was to just line the cliff sides and islands with cannons and hope you can destroy any boats coming in because that's your best bet. Because once they get there up against the bay, you're fucked. I mean, you had to stop them before they got that close. And it seemed to be a good spot to do it, sitting right in the middle of the bay there. And that was the idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So what year are we at we're at we just went from the 1700s to about 1846 right yeah so 1848 is when the uh, american government acquired the spot 1858 10 years later they had finished building the fortifications we got cannons up and we have uh, army officers stationed on the island in case of invasion those history buffs among us realize that at that period of time, we're hot in the middle of the, the maybe the sexiest war in American history, the American Civil War. So at this point in time, America is not worried about invaders from anywhere besides the American South because it's fighting itself. And California, much like many of the newest states in the nation, have washed their hands of the old affair. Are you guys North or South California? They go, we're West. We're not involved. <laughs> so fuck off. Uh, but Whatever uh, part of the U.S. government was controlling it, I imagine it was probably the North at that point, or the Union, because they were the United States and versus the Confederacy. 
um, they had soldiers stationed there, but it was never invaded. They never had to use the battery there to defend themselves. So they had any foreign or domestic ships or anything like that. It was just sitting there for however many years until they decided that uh, this isn't really making much use of it. It was actually beyond just a year after they fortified it that they decided we could make better use of this because we're not seeing a bunch of ships roll in, not a whole lot of shells going off, but we do have a lot of captured prisoners from the Confederacy that we might need to put somewhere and we're running out of spots. So So the craziest thing is they brought the American South Confederates to Alcatraz. I mean, that's like a long journey because they didn't touch too much of the West Coast, right? That's right. They had to ship them them out by train much in the way that they would do in the future for getting inmates there. They were shipping, uh, yeah, military uh, prisoners of war to Alcatraz because it became a military prison. So they started trying to design it as more of a prison and less of a fortification battery. And that's when we start to see the foundation unintended of what will then become Alcatraz penitentiary. But at the time it was just a fort and they started stocking Confederate prisoners in there and putting them in the, in whatever sections they had started sectioning off the barracks and locking them down. It was not a, you know, a unique uh, idea to do at the time because you put them where you can get them, but it was not an official prison whatsoever. You were, they were throwing prisoners in what used to be the barracks of the fort. Yeah, and one of the craziest things is like, because this is um, relevant to the time period before like Alcatraz, as we know it showed up, um, there were like a ton of underground bomb proof, um, like caverns and tunnels underneath Alcatraz that they didn't even really know about till someone from Binghamton University, an archaeologist did some ground penetrating radar there. So like at the time of the Civil War, and before they had all these other tunnels that they that there weren't records of till recently. Yeah. So they must've designed it that way. And then it was lost till time because the people who knew about it weren't passing on that information. So the more people were showing up, they didn't know, Hey, by the way, there's a whole network of bunkers underneath this structure in case it does get destroyed that people can yeah. still wait it out. Well, and they found like remains of ammunition magazines and, and um, stuff like that, that was even there during the time when all of our famous friends spent uh, time at their camp there, you know, <laughs> they would love to get to that. I'm sure. Yeah. Ammunition magazines and sure, why not? all sorts of other things that they, that they, hey, maybe you I'm can sure bog someone over the head can... with those cannonballs that are still down there. Oh yeah. 1800s. Right. Yeah, exactly. But Hey, if they could do what they did with, uh, you know, tools made of nothing. I'm sure a old flintlock uh, pistol would have been wonderful. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we'll see you going through this. The tale of Alcatraz is both misery and ingenuity, like the yin <clears throat> and the yang of this uh, particular the island. They the take way. time from you, and the only thing they give back is time. Like, that's the, that's the only way to do it, the place it is. So, yeah, it certainly does spark a... a the right type of creative mind to do things. So, um, yeah, those are the earliest days. So what I was saying is, um, during that first, uh, kind of like the European document of the islands and that type of stuff, um, right before the government bought it, it looks like it was, there was a private owner named Julian Workman and he was given the property by Mexican governor Pio Pico in 1846 so this is right before what we just said but i have to throw it in there and then he sold it to the u.s government for um uh for like a hundred and sixty thousand pennies on the dollar Uh, yeah well now pretty a pretty good chunk like 160 and they 
they never paid him. And then they went to court 20 years. Like it was the court case got settled like 20 years later, like closer to even 1900. Mm-hmm. And they, and he still didn't get his, they money. never paid. Yeah. They never, never paid, paid him. him never paid him a dime. It's said, go fuck. Yeah. What are you gonna crazy. Do about it? I'll throw you in here. The rest of them, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yep. Crazy. But at that time, um, the first lighthouse, uh, on the West coast w- was put there and is still, still to this day, the oldest operating lighthouse, um, in America. That's wild. Just because of the history there. Yeah. So Alcatraz isn't just a cool place to go spend 60 bucks with your family. Um, it's actually has something still like today has a number one oldest lighthouse still operational. Pretty cool. Absolutely. So in the period between the military prison Alcatraz and after the end of the civil war, they didn't need it as much in that capacity, but it was still built up that way. So years later, they start to build build the place up. So we're talking about uh, concrete structures to add to the military prison itself, guard towers to dot the island to keep people from trying to escape. And at, at that time, when it's all built up in that way, it's still a military prison. It's just a well-built military prison rather than the fort with prisoners in it. Now they're making it a genuine military prison as we reach the 1900s, but they increase the capacity from, and originally it was 26 people all the way to 450 inmate capacity for a military prison, which they had all the people in. Um, but it, start, it started to be more of a, uh, or rather less of a priority for them to be keeping this thing up. They didn't need as many military prisoners there. They had a, lar- a larger reach. We're getting into the 1900s here. As we're going into World War One. America's got a lot more power and a lot more uh, ability to build up other places rather than just old military forts. And at that point, in the year 1934, the United States Department of Justice decides to buy out the Alcatraz Federal Prison Penitentiary, not buy out, rather convert and say, we're acquiring this from the U.S. military to the Department of Justice is going to take it over. And we're going to make it a federal prison rather than a military prison. So it's not prisoners of war here or uh, guys have gone AWOL or, you know, got too drunk on shore leave. We're talking about real federal prisoners here, which nowadays I think more of it as uh, we got tax evaders and, uh, you know, that kind of crime, crimes or drug dealers, crimes that are federal crimes are using up. But at the time, federal crime was not a very big concept in America. It was states, state crime. If you commit a crime in the state, you're going to jail in the state, you're going to prison in the state. There is very few criminals who were committing crimes against the federal government of the United States. Nowadays, we figure it's all one big thing. At the time, it really wasn't unified like that in the early 1900s. But there was one group of criminals that were so heinous and so wealthy, they demanded the entire focus of the federal government of the United States, which helped form you know, different organizations like the Federal Bureau of Investigations. And that was because of prohibition. Mm-hmm. tons and tons of these super wealthy gangsters who are the ancestors spiritually not always biologically of these guys who are the wild west guys like jesse james and you know sundance kid butch Cassidy. these guys who are the outlaws the next generation were these guys running booze and running cities like chicago kansas city yeah, providence and new york and all these different towns and that required federal intervention and it got the first wave of these high profile, internationally famous criminals. And that's when federal prisons started to start to expand and Alcatraz was gonna be their crown jewel 
the rock, the one you can't get off of. Give us your, unlike Ellis Island, don't give us your sick and your huddle masses. Give us your worst, your craziest, your most high profile criminal. Put them here on a place they can never get out. We're gonna design this place to be a citadel of misery. And that they did. a.m. on August 11th, 1934, that first batch stepped foot. (laughs) Is that right? Nine in the morning after the train ride all the way to San Francisco. And I'm guessing a ferry shackled uh, bracelets and anklets the whole way in. So they went so they went from railroad from the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas to Santa Venetia, California. And then they got escorted to Alcatraz, obviously by ferry, mm-hmm. and then put into one of the funniest looking prison vans I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it looks like it's the same van that is also the milk truck of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's, it's like when they convert the, the sprinter van into like, you're going to sleep in it, or you're going to be like a technician or like an electrician. Yes. The exactly. same van. They just do the same van thing. just in, in the thirties. Like it's still so ice cream at the back, or you put prisoners in there. Well, the craziest thing is that there's a place and you've seen it in the grocery stores sometimes anywhere you go, but there's a dairy, uh, a dairy company up in the North shore near me called Paleo's. Mm-hmm. And they also have that out front. That's awesome. <laughs> So it's it's exactly what you said. The sprinter van of the thirties, whatever this thing is, is what, once you got on the Island, how they kind of brought you around. Flexible vehicle. (laughs) So funny. Um, So yeah. And it's just, it just doesn't look scary. Like now if you go to jail, it's like this, like more like awful fucking bus. Like (laughs) the bus is is scary. You know, again, that's almost the same model as a school bus. They just take it out to be, it is. carry prisoners you yeah know. no it's e- it's either like the they don't paint it yellow you just paint it blue on, and gray which is like a coach bus that's converted to be military e or you go to jail which is genuinely a school bus with bars like it's so yeah like what the fuck is that about um <laughs> I, it, makes, it makes sense for the companies right they're not going to design you know a hundred buses specifically for carrying prisoners they'll just say we already have a bus that carries that many bodies just add the uh the extra package, the extra care package. Care package. What do you call that when you add things on to when you buy a car? Options. Not, options. Yeah, yeah. Get the get the prisoner transport option on the bus. Yeah, prisoner option. Yeah, but my question, a satellite radio for a year. My question too, so for you, it. Joe, and for for all the listeners and for the people at the jails, like, mm-hmm. has anybody not seen Halloween? I mean, I have seen Halloween. Yeah, that's we saw answer. how that bus went down when Michael Myers is on it. Sure. Yeah. Considerate of having a more hardcore vehicle. Yeah, you have more one of those um, uh, armored transports that they move uh, materials like money and shit like that. Put them in one of those back things with the padlocks on them. Yep. That's what you want to do. Which but it's want? just not. Uh, it's not economical. You're going to move 30 guys who are up to no good, but also aren't aren't trying to hijack something. It's easier to move them on a bus than to have to pay for a single transport of this guy. You're already paying so much money to keep people in prison, as I'm sure we'll mention later. We will. But, um, but yeah, they're pretty, in these buses, they're pretty restrained. I mean, they're handcuffed. They're yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're not, they're not like they're uh, probably spitballing the, the bus driver and mooning the people on the, fucking, on the highway in the backseat. All I picture is Chris Farley in um, 
uh, Billy Madison. Oh, Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah. No, that Veronica Vaughn. That, that's <laughs> where he he's driving the bus. He's like, missing the sandwich. Hits him. He goes, starts turning red. Sit down! <laughs> no yelling on the bus! Oh, God, is that funny? So, it's basically so, it. So we've got our first, what, 137 prisoners. Yeah, um, I believe so. They're they're on the bus. 34. They're, they're ready. It's almost like an experiment itself. It's the first time they're going to try to bring all these high-profile criminals into one location. Because even though many of them came from Leavenworth, because it was one of the largest federal penitentiaries in the country, they started taking them from all over, uh, including the likes mm-hmm. of, uh, like we said, gangsters, as they were. Yep. And they're coming in with uh, the first warden classic prisoner abuser james johnston with his associate warden j.e shuttleworth i mean think of the guy's name james johnson like this guy is gonna just gonna beat the shit out of (laughs) he's just gonna be the most (laughs) cruel person in the world and he i mean i think about that you're you're making this this new prison or this old prison you're redesigning it as this this uh pit of misery for the worst people you want to hire the most angry sadistic motherfucker and they found him that's what you want he's such an asshole and like and then i don't i don't know which is worse though like his associate warden's name was j.e shuttleworth how the fuck do you get a last name named called shuttleworth where does that come from i wouldn't tell you i have no idea like we can trace most names back but shuttleworth like what the hell is that about so um they're both considered to be iron men and uh they weren't trained in security but not rehabilitation and they weren't marvel why you weren't allowed to talk to anybody for the first couple of years um in uh, when alcatraz you know after it was invented oh yeah no it wasn't just for the first couple of years like i I mean i know what you're saying it doesn't like the way you're saying it sounds like like you have a year where you can't talk when you get there that was them's the rule that was the that's what i'm saying yes yeah let's get into that because at this point now they're trying to make it into the uh this is the beginning of alcatraz being what we know today as alcatraz aka the rock the island and one of the rules of the prison as dylan mentioned is you cannot speak at all not not like oh keep it down no swearing you can't talk to anybody. They give you a few minutes as you're leaving your cell and a few minutes as you enter your cell. Besides that, you get one hour on Sunday to speak to anyone. What the fuck? That's already miserable. What the hell are you thinking? Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so at the time when he was starting to run the prison, uh, the, the new warden there, not only was it strange that he had all these crazy policies and to try to keep it fucking miserable, they also had 155 guards on staff, which made yeah. it the the lowest ratio of guards to prisoners in any prison in the country. It's one to three, roughly. So it was one guard every three prisoners. Most of the prisons at the time, it was like more like 115, one to 20. So you'd have 20 prisoners to every guard. But Alcatraz, one to three, baby. We got a tight, tight ship here. Good luck. Absolutely. And yeah, his uh, his Iron Fist uh, policy just wasn't good. I mean, this is you know prisoners were just like yeah these guys just would they call the black stick like that car they have they have there's a name for that anyways just constantly beating the shit out of people oh you mean what do they call when you have like a billy club or a baton that billy kind of thing club. Billy yeah, club. Yeah. yep so yeah the billy club was a big billy club fan yeah but i thought that um interestingly for the time even though they did they did wail on a bunch of prisoners that way that alcatraz was more of a psychological torture prison than most prisons i mean you're you're thinking about it's the Mm -hmm. it's 1934 most prisons in america people are getting wailed on with billy clubs left and right if you look at a guy the wrong way he'll crack your tooth open or out of your mouth and it's completely legal to do so because they have complete control of you 
But unlike that, Alcatraz would do that. But their real oppression was the psychological impact of it. It was the, you can't talk. It was the, you're going to the hole for literally any infraction. If you do talk, if you do talk, you're going in the hole, which is solitary confinement for 10 days was the bare minimum. If you don't finish your lunch, your full plate of food, you're going in solitary for 10 days. That's it. Any little infraction, you'd go to solitary for 10 days and solitary is bad anywhere. But in Alcatraz, it's as close as you can get to a cement closet. I mean, you have no light. You get, you get one couple or one piece of bread and a couple cups of water a day to 10 days. Not only is it not human interaction, there's no sunlight or any interaction or anything at all. It's basically pitch black in a hole. People would go and it's completely insane. Well, and some crazy other things about solitary while we're there is... Yeah, let's uh, talk about solitary. One, also known as D-block. So in the movies, they call it D-block. Um, the hole, like you said, um, they put you in there naked. So you don't even, you don't even close. Then every now and then they spray you with a hose um, mm-hmm. to wash you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, same thing. But they do let you out. Um, I think it was once a week or once, depending on how long you stayed in there. And there were some that went over the limit or whatever it was, but that you could go out for one hour, I think a week to the like courtyard. Yeah. Not, not an hour a day to get some fresh air and some sunlight. It was one hour a week. So you'd be in there and, uh, yeah, just absolute torture for that. And not only the fact that you that would be bad enough for anything. I mean, sometimes you'd think, oh, yeah, they had a they had a fight and a guy got thrown in there as punishment or he tried to attack a guard. It would be anything. You look at somebody the wrong way. You're going in the hole for 10 days. And it got so psychologically oppressive that one of the prisoners there made up the game he famously called the button game, which sounds like the scariest, most depressing game of all time, where he would, he would take a, in a button with him, like a button off your shirt, and you'd drop it on the floor and then look on it with his hands and knees to keep himself sane. That was a game he'd play because you couldn't see it's pitch black. So he would drop a button on the floor and search with his hands and knees for hours just to keep his mind occupied and keep him sane. Because staring into the dark for 24 hours straight is enough to drive you crazy. Never mind 10 days straight. I mean, there's no way you got in any worse off than you left. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I, I don't think I could handle that. And like another thing that's interesting to talk about psychological fuckery. Mm-hmm. Um, cells, regular cells were five by nine. So five feet wide by nine feet deep. Not very big. Yeah. Um, check out Dylan right now. I mean, that, that's what you're talking about. Like, like a, a little tiny area, not like yeah. you can have your bunk mate and you got some room to, you know, do push ups, and then you look out the bars and start talking to people. I mean, the cell block I'm at right now is the one you want to be in. You can look across the way and see other people and D block and solitary and in some of the other cell locations, you're looking straight up at a wall or a window. You can't even see the people to the left or right of you. So you're just completely isolated, completely even though there's blocked. people yeah. all around. My, my point of being crazy is that regular cells, like the ones you see behind you, are the one that I'm in right now. Five by nine, very small. But you are you don't have any other roommates because they don't want people killing each other. Right. Um, but uh, solitary or D-block was bigger. I don't know how much bigger, but it was bigger than five by nine. So let's say it was 11 uh you know, let's say it was seven by 11 or something like it was bigger than, than a regular cell, but you can't mm-hmm. see anything Yeah, for days. It's really fucking crazy shit. I mean, like it's awful. Um, yeah. And then not just when lights out, it's all the time you can't talk. Yeah. So you're, you're just sitting in those blocks, you know, all day long and on the actual premises lived the warden lived his family. They had all different kinds of facilities on the, on the place there to say that there's actually people living on this island. Like it's a self-staining ecosystem here, including yeah. mercantile yeah. shops, artisan work, having the prisoners work and things like that all the time. You get to zip it or at least keep it quiet. 
most of the time. Yeah, like like again, like you said, the the families of the the workers on the island lived there. They yeah. lived there. It's crazy. There's even a story about one of uh, one of the warden's daughter getting a ball from one of the inmates who had purchased it or had found it, and he gave it to her. And you think the story's gonna end with her grabbing her pigtails and making a fucking mock or like an awful event? He didn't. He just gave her a ball, and then she brought it back. And like, oh, I got this from the guy. And they go, don't talk to him anymore, kind of deal. But that's how close the warden's family was to the prisoners that they could actually reach within a fence of each other. Which, as a guy who's being that iron fisted and, and brutal to these inmates, you'd think like, why would you ever have your family there? But at the time best way to run the place is just to live there and you don't want to live there without your family what kind of red-blooded american man doesn't have a family with kids what a way to grow up jesus yeah, christ it reminds me of something else called uh concentration camps <laughs> they also lived right near there too sure yeah same deal crazy. right yeah it's fucking crazy alongside them so crazy so, so yeah that's basically what it what it looks like to be in in alcatraz at, at its initial iteration with um warden johnson and all that i mean just crazy amount of uh i, I don't i don't know what to say just like complete control over these guys and uh they want to make an example of them the whole prison was supposed to be an example of the american justice system and taking the worst criminals and saying we're going to throw you in this place that you can't get out of it's on an island and we're going to make it as awful as possible because the idea of rehabilitation even now they call it you know the uh the criminal justice system, they, they call it, um, now I can't think of the word of a prison. They don't call it a, a prison. They call it the uh, a penitentiary or the, um, I'm sorry, it's failing me now. The supermax facility. Mm, now more of a word where it's like, it's not a prison. It's right. a rehabilitation center, but it's not rehabilitation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think they're called- Corrections, the, the, the Department of Correction. Yeah. yeah, now they call them correctional facilities, but I mean, that's more of a new concept. They still haven't really been adopting that much yet. Hopefully in the future they will. But at the time, the idea of it being called a correctional facility, no, no, no. It's a punishment facility. This is a dungeon. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to correct anything in you. We're going to try to keep you docile and hopefully break your soul so you don't ever- talk again and that'll teach you for you know going against you know society at large it's not a correctional facility it's a punishment facility first yeah. and foremost crazy and i don't think i mentioned that all of the guard tower workers were required to be expert marksmen they, they had to pass a test to how well they could shoot because they wanted them to be able to shoot any prisoner um that ever tried to escape the facility and obviously the the edict is kill them as soon as they try to escape shoot for the head shoot for center of mass and kill them don't try to, you know, pepper spray him or shoot him yeah. and hopefully arrest him. No, but no, no. The interesting thing is, because this is, well, before we get into the meat of stuff, like talking about the facility itself was important. So mm -hmm. a couple more facts that are pretty interesting is that yeah. one, one, there was, um, there was what's called like, I think the shooting gallery. So it was mm -hmm. a, it was a spot um, kind of behind you somewhere where a guard besides, so you have the towers, the guard towers outside, then you have like the, the shooting gallery where they had guns and they could basically shoot prisoners from from that location. Anywhere the prisoners were, they could hit them. Yep. But the guards who did patrols did not carry weapons, handcuffs, or even um, things that could be used against them. Right. And, Out of that necessity, right? They didn't want it to be taken from them and used against yep, them anyway. Yep, exactly. So so the guards themselves didn't have, didn't have weapons. They also didn't have keys. Um, this was one of the first prisons to use... Um, a system of uh, like levers to open um, uh, to open the cells. 
So they didn't, guards didn't walk around with the classic key and open the gate. It was a lever controlled mm-hmm. system that would open the doors, um, which is interesting as well. And that also, is. also crazy too, is that um, <clears throat> Alcatraz didn't have a death row. So there's no green mile, so to speak. Right. So, yeah. Um, no so, room really, not even a mile long, the whole facility. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So, um, the stats there were eight people were murdered by other inmates. Um, five of them committed suicide and 15 died from natural causes. Mm. This doesn't include, um, some of the other, uh, some of the escape attempts where people did not make it, but, um, but yeah, there was not, there was a morgue there and there just wasn't, it wasn't very busy over Alcatraz was around, um, closed down after what, 19 years of operation, right? Oh, I'm not sure. We'll do the math when we talk about yeah, we'll do the what math. it closed. I think it's not, it's not a lot. Um, but, uh, and, and another thing too, it's, it's interesting because of similar facilities of the same time period. This is why this number is so interesting to me. If we talk about mental institutions, for example, and sometimes there were some crossover between prisons and mental institutions. Um, I think there was a lot of it at that time. And people just absolutely. didn't understand. So that's why I'm putting them in sort of a same category is, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, for example, like the Danvers State uh, Hospital was a mental institution near me, still mostly there, um, was over capacity by like four times. Like it was a, it was like one nurse to 70 patients, I think was the worst of it, where it should be one nurse to like four or five or six or 20 patients tops. Like yeah, that. unlike a prison, you want even closer ratio of patients yeah. to, you know, caretakers. Caregivers, yeah, exactly. So, um, but uh, Alcatraz was never full the average number of prisoners was 260, um, mm-hmm. but got down to, and had as many as 320. Um, yeah. It was around 220. But it could hold over 400 if it was mm-hmm. packed to the gills. And it never yeah, did. Yeah, but it was never even, it never, it never had more than 320. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. pretty That's pretty odd. Pretty. And yes. on top of that, I mean, it just is something to behold that it's hard to realize how, isolated and interesting the places because it really is a big cement block on top of an island and i went to visit myself years back my family took me there which is it was awesome tour it's so cool to go and sit in the cells and really get a feel for the place and the history is still there in a lot of ways Um, but just to feel the ocean air blowing through the hallways i mean you have a couple of doors open it feels like you're on the you're on the icy coast when you're in your cell i mean it's not like there's insulation and HVAC and all that shit. You're basically just on a concrete block on an Island and you're, you feel like you are. Yeah. That's something, man. So yeah, I forgot that you went there. Um, yeah, that's a really good way to put yourself in the shoes though. Is that like salty ocean air, you know, with seaweed smell or whatever it is. is you can feel it all. Yeah. Even Everywhere. when you're in bed, you can smell the ocean. You can feel the cold wind blowing through it. It really isn't like putting a house on the side of the ocean where you have all the amenities like insulation and the windows, the whole thing. It's just putting people in a prison. I mean, it never got below freezing to the point on the Island that it would be snowing on the Island of Alcatraz or there'd be ice, you know, freezing up the pipes, but it was just constantly cold in San Francisco Bay. And it's quite a bit colder in the Bay than it is in the city, but even the city of San Francisco rarely ever gets over 80 degrees in the entire year winter spring summer or fall that wind coming through in that ocean mist the city is just not very warm and if you're on an island in the bay especially one half of the year it's going to be cold the entire time oh yeah uh, not cold enough to freeze to death but pretty close the whole time yeah 
Yeah, I mean, like, uh, there's there's some places that you've I mean you and Joe like Odeon State Park in Portsmouth or Rye or whatever that is. Right. Yeah. Same type of structure on the coast. Absolutely. And during the summer, you get out of the sun and it is it's cold. It's yeah. Cold. Like that's salty. a great example, Dylan. That's very much like the the facility is like. It's built like that. You yeah, it's know, built like that. It's just it's concrete on the side of the ocean. Miserable. Horrible. Quiet. Dark too. As oh, we know, very dark. There. You can see pure, pure darkness in that place. One hundred percent scary as hell in there. Scary as shit. Yep. So, uh, just a correction on my thing. It's twenty nine years. It's been in, in use. Gotcha. Yeah. There you right, go. Nineteen. But um. But overall, we'll, we'll get into we'll that. Get that later. But, but um, yeah, miserable, miserable, bad place. Imagine being in D block, being naked. Ugh. No, 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 no. It's so fucked up. It's so yeah. Fucked up. No, I, I'm not sure I could do. A jail is one of those places like that, like prison, not somewhere not for me <laughs> no, not for most people that's kind of the idea i think a lot of the time if you want to see me one second i gotta get a tissue i'm fucking yeah i'm gonna get a refill it's time for a word from our sponsors anyway today's sponsor new england's best hoppy ipa that's be hoppy by Wormtown brewery we got deep in the Acid Valley. You can enjoy a taste of New England. And New England's what you get. The Acid River Valley. Taste of New England. Wormtown will go with you. structure and the kind of the history around like what made it made it what it is but yeah. we got some we got some interesting groups of uh, interesting folks who did spend some time there of course i mean the rock itself is interesting enough it's this isolated facility as we mentioned on, on this uh, this rocky island in the ocean mist but what makes it famous is the people who got put in there right this is the thing if no one we knew about was ever in there we'd be like oh what's that place what a crazy dungeon but we're talking about people like al capone getting put in there it makes the place famous Al Capone. It's the craziest thing. Al Capone got put there. And as you guys, I mean, a lot of you may or may not know this, but the reason he got put in there is so funny. You know this. Tell Joe, tell us why. Tell us what Al Capone got, got capped for. What it was. Tax evasion, tax I believe. Evasion. Yeah. They couldn't nail him with anything, so they got him with tax evasion. And then he <laughs> yeah. Right, he was already um, in prison, I think, in Illinois before he got yeah. shipped to Alcatraz, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was riddled with syphilis at the time and it was progressing more and more and deteriorating his brain. So by the time he got to Alcatraz, although he was still the infamous gangster Al Capone, he was more than a shell of his former self. I mean, he, he barely had any kind of cognitive function of the way he did when he was running the game in the roaring twenties at that point. I mean, he was Al Capone still and people knew who he was and they treated him as such, but he was no dangerous, conniving, genius gangster as he was in the 20s. He was, a, you know, a sick old man who was basically mentally dysfunctional. And he is, there he is sitting in, sitting in Alcatraz. I think for in his case, it was much more of a publicity move for the facility to put him in there. He wasn't the baddest and most dangerous man in the country anymore. He was an icon of what that means. And I think that he got plopped in there for that example of being like, we got Capone in here. We got, you know, Machine Gun Kelly. We got all these gangsters in here. It's like the baddest place. He didn't need to be in Alcatraz. Al Capone. No, no. His, it, like you said, his, uh, his the pus from his dick got to his brain and, <laughs> and 
ate it. And <laughs> they put them in Alcatraz. Yeah. I mean, it's you, literally, I mean, we're not being funny. I mean, we are. I mean, we are, but we it's are, true. But that's, that's actually what happened. <laughs> yeah. He just, he loved, I don't even know what they called them back then. They weren't just prostitutes. It was just like women of the night. Working gals. Working gals. He loved that stuff. That was his thing. And then it just kind of, it caught him. We all know condoms were invented until down. the year 1999, so it was well off of uh, being a Trojan man himself. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Sorry, I missed the whole thing. Just... Oh, I said we all know that condoms weren't invented until 1999, so he had no choice of not getting syphilis. He had to get it. Yes, exactly. You're gonna get laid. You're gonna get syphilis. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. He could have. He could have wrapped it back then too. They were there. They were there. They were around. They were around. It was a thing. People. I think they're around for a long, longer than that. Too, well, I mean, so. obviously, if you believe in Christ, you wouldn't ever do that to yourself unless you want to go to hell. And I guess Al Capone yeah, was worried about going to hell when it bothered yeah, <laughs> all those point. murders that he did. Right, exactly. So we think it's, it's okay to, to wear it, if you know. Jesus says you're allowed to do it because it just doesn't feel as good if you put it on. And that's God's <laughs> will. And that's true. So, um, so yeah, yeah, he's he's top He's got to be up there on the list of guys. Up who there on the list there. of famous folks in there. Um, I, I want to talk about Robert Stroud uh, real quick because, is you know, again, this is all similar time frame. Even um, though his crimes are not nearly as infamous and his profile was not nearly as big as Al Capone when he was in Leavenworth before he got transferred to Alcatraz, he became as famous as Al Capone. When you go on the tour, he's one of the three people they talk about the most the whole time. They talk about Al Capone, they talk about Robert Stroud. And they talk about one other guy we're going to mention later. But those are the big names. Robert Stroud is as big as Al Capone when you go to the Alcatraz tour. It's that big of a deal that yeah, he was that's there. That's so interesting because I like, I was trying to figure out what makes him so interesting. And there's nothing really that crazy about him. Um, and, and he no, was, he's totally sane. No, 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 no. He was a psychopath. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like he's not Al Capone. He's not that like, crazy. I mean, he's kind of mind his own business what he could do. Well, he not sounds like he kind of sort you. of did. I mean, he he doesn't. He just sounds like he kind of had a lot of interest besides. So, like Robert Stroud, born in uh, eighteen ninety, um, he was the Birdman of Alcatraz, and he was a murderer. The Birdman of Alcatraz. Let's not gloss over that. That's his name. He's the Birdman. They all call him the Birdman. Yeah, and he's and and he was one of the most notorious criminals in the United States. Like he had his he had his things. He did his Leavenworth, like you said, and mm-hmm. and he uh, and he he was the Birdman of Leavenworth beforehand. He yes. had birds there. Exactly. And when they transferred him, uh, he had already written a book that um, a publisher had made out about the uh, aviary biology. Like he was writing books about like how to care for birds. Completely wrong. <laughs> All of the shit was crazy. Like you feed them sherry and a slice of bread if they're feeling sick. That's not going to help a bird at all. But he had all these crazy ideas and they published it as if he was a bird expert at the time, which he loved because he was really big into birds in Leavenworth. Yeah, and he, he was he was interesting. So like, and he spent he spent most of his life in jail. I mean, he was he was first in prison in 19, 1909 mm-hmm. um, and and died in nineteen sixty three in in jail in in a prison. And he was uh, yeah, he was nineteen years old when he was sent to prison, and he never left prison from that day on. He was eighteen. He oh sorry, uh, eighteen. Oh sorry, no, I think you're, you're right. He was nineteen. He was when he was eighteen. He decided to go be a pimp in Alaska in nineteen oh nine. Didn't even know that was a thing, but in Alaska, he goes. Yeah, no. <laughs> for for I don't know if it's even more popular now than it was then. I mean, how many people even lived in Alaska at the time? 
Yeah, and you just think of pimps as like you know with the hat and whatever it is, and maybe that's- <laughs> yeah, but he's got like the he's got the uh, the Russian hat with the animal fur on it. And he's like, hey, baby, when I tell you to mush, you fucking mush. You got it? <laughs> I don't want to give you my ring hand. Yeah, no, for real. And like, and um, and he uh, he got sentenced to twelve years in prison for uh, shooting and killing a uh, bartender um, yeah. who attacked his mistress. Um, so, or his bottom bitch. So it just all started now. off of that. Like I said, he was 19, just started a reputation of being uh, that and then being a dangerous inmate who who was loved confrontation. And that's uh, what got him in there, right? Much like a lot of prisoners do over well, the like history. It's not that he's such a bad guy. They sentenced him to life in prison. They sentenced him to, some, to 12 years and then he just never got out because he kept fucking doing shit. They're like, you're not getting out of here ever, man. You keep attacking people and being malicious and saying yeah. things like if i ever get out of here i'm gonna the first thing i'm gonna do is start raping people you say things like that people aren't gonna let you out yeah well that's it like you said he, he cre- created he did crimes in um in the real world and then kept doing crimes in jail so they go all right you're gonna alcatraz bro like if like uh, yeah, a like career in people to alcatraz first they have to go fuck up some other prison and then come here and he stabbed and killed a guard in 1916 so like all right well um so yeah, that was uh, that was you so know then, then it was then thirty it was years or no yeah twenty plus years before Alcatraz was ever made defender mm-hmm. penitentiary. So yeah, he was at Leavenworth. He had all these birds there, yeah. and they said it was almost impossible to deal with because he just his entire cell was covered in bird shit, smelled <laughs> like hell. He didn't clean it all, you know. He just had these birds in there, and it was a big controversy when he's getting shipped over to Alcatraz again. I think it was more of a, like a, a publicity thing because he wasn't he was a dangerous inmate, but it wasn't like he had run the american mob for 20 years he he was a he was a crazy guy and they said we're, well, we're going to put him in alcatraz because he's like an undesirable inmate he's a problem and also we get to put the birdman leavenworth in alcatraz and make another big ticket item for alcatraz to make it look like even more of an impressive and scary prison and they wouldn't let him bring his birds with him and he was not too happy about that one of the only things he cared about in his life yeah it sounds like the birds were everything to him but but he wasn't an idiot and like no he- um, for example, in in the in Leavenworth, he had three hundred canaries. Three hundred. So imagine that many birds shitting in a cell in one day. <laughs> Never exactly. mind a month. A lot of shit, and Holy. yeah, a day. And he um, so many birds. And uh, and then he started publishing books about because again, it says he was a um, I don't know the word for it, but he was like a bird scientist. Right? I think like aviologist, something like that, right? It's a little different than that, and I wish I researched what it meant. But he's oh, me too. Ornithologist. Thank you. Yeah, ornithologist. Ornithologist. Yep, exactly. And then he wrote "Diseases of Canaries," which was a book that he um, published in 1933 and then revised in 43. And his contributions to avian pathology were most notably a cure for the um, hemorrhagic septicemia family of diseases and he wrote so let's break that down hemorrhagic septicemia so we know what like uh hemorrhaging means it's like when the the blood Blood, is lost like the right and then septicemia being like uh the presence of bacteria infection in the blood so i guess he's he's has a cure for bird blood infections i don't from what i found he didn't actually know anything it was just like all like wise tale cures of things he obviously knew how to care for birds but he didn't knew nothing about the intricacies of the circulatory system of birds or their, you know, biology. He didn't know the name of one fucking chemical besides, you know, what you could find in the commissary. He would make all these witches brew potions of whatever he could get in his cell and put it together and say, oh, that'll make a bird feel better. I didn't find anything that actually adds up nowadays for people who are 
yeah. ornithologist saying, oh, he's really onto something there. It's more the fact that he was a prisoner doing this at a time when not many people knew anything about ornithology. Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're, you're almost certainly right about this. Um, and, and what eventually, so that's kind of his, his bird nature of things. And then he, um, and he kind of just, it sounds like he got like sympathy from like professional ornithologists and farmers mm-hmm. and then ran a successful business inside the prison. Um, but anyways, long story short, he only got sent to Alcatraz because they caught him making alcohol in his cell. Um, so that was just sherry for the birds, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Seriously, it was just he's trying to solve the birds' problems. Like, yeah, so you got an interesting guy. Um, he wasn't a genius, he was more of a psychopath. And then he, uh, from being assessed by a psychologist, with an yes, I agree. He wasn't a genius, he was more of a psychopath. But a lot of psychopaths are very intelligent when it comes to manipulation, yes. and he yes. was one amongst them. One of the guys who you, you would you make the sympathy card go out to people who were ornithologists or reporters, and he would tell them, oh, the only thing I did is try to defend my lady back when I was 19 years old, and look at me. The system's got me still in here. I just take care of these little birds. I'm like Snow White. What's the big deal about this? And now these guys are treating me like shit. Meanwhile, the guy was a psychopath. I mean, he deserved to be in there for what he kept doing yeah. and what he threatened to do, but he was very sympathetic to the United States, as we'll learn when he gets to Alcatraz and becomes a national icon and people, he's one of the reasons why people in America wanted the prison closed down because they loved this guy. They, they loved, loved guy. him. And and for all the negativity, he didn't do that. I mean, so during the battle of Alcatraz. Um, oh, wait, 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 let's not spoil that yet. We're not going to spoil it yet, but something happened called the battle of Alcatraz. <laughs> Teaser. What, what this guy, what the Birdman did is he decided that he wanted to, um, uh, he, he went, he ju- like jumped off the ledge down to D block. I believe I can fly. (laughs) Seriously. The real Um, bird, man. He jumped down to D block to protect those guys from the gunfire and said, these guys are all innocent. Like, please don't shoot them by accident. This is not Mm -hmm. okay. So he, he, he he gave of himself to go try to make sure innocent people didn't get killed. He also had a lot of sway over the over the prisoners in Alcatraz. He was a very beloved figure. And a lot of times there was multiple times where he would rile up the prisoners to the point that they would start, you know, a near riot because they all were on his side so much. He was so good at manipulation and the guards knew that about him. So they wouldn't just stay on his side because they loved him so much. They would stay on his side because they knew this guy had the potential to drive these other prisoners into a fury. And if you get on the bird man's bad side, he'll start saying things. And people start getting upset, and then it's not worth it for you to do that. So Thought you master manipulated this guy, whether it's bird or man. Oh yeah, totally. I don't think that he went down a D block because he felt so his heart ached for these men who were going to get shot, and then he was going to have to have that on his soul that he had to he had to save them while he can. It's all part of his fucking. <laughs> it's a game. Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, I mean, I know a story about him cutting his balls open and then screaming at the guard, "I'm going to die in five minutes," and they had to save him because he knew. He wanted to get attention. He's that kind of guy. Let's. We got wrapped up in the whole American mystery of the guy, which I think is super impressive. He's interesting, but he's still a manipulative psychopath, and they're very good at getting sympathy because that's what they do. They don't feel bad. They just know how to make people feel bad for them. And I'm not saying the guy's life isn't a tragedy, but I'd be very apprehensive to give him any credit as being a bleeding heart uh, empath, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a good point. So that's the Birdman, if anyone's knowing, because his name comes up, like Joe says, all the time. Yeah. If you're, if you're there. And he did end up getting his birds on Pelican Island. So I guess if they had to take his birds away, they sent him to a pretty good place to find more birds because he was the Birdman of Alcatraz. Not just because of Love and Worth. He had birds in Alcatraz, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Hard he knew how to deal with birds. 
Well, if you have like a homing pigeon, like how do you just keep killing them? Like how do you stop birds from coming in? Like yeah, I mean the whole island's covered in birds for sure. And I'm not trying to take away the fact that he knew a lot about birds. He just didn't know a lot about birds scientifically. Like he, he shouldn't have been writing books about bird biology. But if you if you know how to like deal with wild birds, he definitely knew how to deal with them. He had them living with him. He knew a lot yeah. about birds. He yeah. just shouldn't have been writing scientific journals about them. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. But a so, wild guy, the Birdman, yeah. Robert so Stroud. Besides that, um, some other famous people we know. So we went over, went over Al Capone, went over the Birdman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touch upon Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, who who got to be known as Pop Gun Kelly by the time he was done there because of he ended up uh, doing bookkeeping and becoming a cobbler in the prison, and he really got tuned down. Uh, what I think about Machine Gun Kelly, I didn't know before the research, is that he actually never murdered anybody. He was a yeah. crime boss, but he actually had never been convicted of actual murder, uh, strong arm robbery and things like that, but never, never murdered anybody. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty something. Um, but he was as famous as Al Capone when he got arrested and now people kind of forget about him. People know him more as a rapper who is a skinny white boy who came out a couple of years ago and battle wrapped Eminem <laughs> rather than the actual person who existed. I hope that's not true. Cause I, know that's definitely true. Ever. Machine Gun Kelly, type it into Google right now and see the first thing you find. It's not going to be the 1920s criminal. It's going to be the rapper, Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, I never knew that. I didn't know he was even a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I had to bring that on you. But... Wow. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> did you ever hear of Alvin Creepy Carpus? Yeah, I was going to bring him up. I thought it was interesting what? that he is the, the longest serving inmate in the history of Alcatraz. Now that we know it's been closed down, he holds the record in perpetuity as the longest to ever serve there. He was the first man to ever be put on the most wanted list that was taken alive. No kidding. I also heard that he was the first um, like gangster type person to go by creepy and first guy who's... <laughs> <laughs> I think you're definitely right about that. I'm right about sure. that one too. Um, yeah, I believe John Dillinger was the first and I can't remember the other two after him, but it was all major robbery sprees. It's every time the police finally found them, it's let the lead fly. They're going to die. So... Uh, yeah, Alvis Creepy Carpus and uh, Alvin Creepy Carpus himself. He was the first one to be taken alive, and for that, he did spend his entire life in prison. And he spent so much time in Alcatraz. I think he was here from almost the beginning to the end. Uh, he was the only one to spend that much time. 26 years out of the 29. So, yeah, almost the entire history of the federal prison. Uh, that's rough. Yep, He's creepy. the old man of Alcatraz at that point. Creepy Carpus. Fucking something, man. <laughs> Creep. Yeah, came from Montreal. Uh, just was in gangs. Yeah, he's another one of those old classic gangs, the Prohibition era, just running around, knocking over yeah. banks, a lot of kind of yep. good stuff. Yeah, and then he was quite smart, it sounds like. Um, and that's uh, it's something. Another fun fact about him is he's one of the one of those people who had his fingerprints removed. 1934. Oh, way early for that. That's good. Thinking ahead of the curve there. Yep, exactly. That's something. So, um, so yeah, so those are all the people who were locked up in there. And um, when it comes down to it, the later years of Alcatraz weren't as oppressive. And the way that the earlier years were, like we said, they, they took away the, the law of silence. Um, you were allowed to get more social time with people they start introducing activities and job cycles to try to get these people proactive with their skills like knitting and you know arts and crafts and all the cute stuff you do at summer camp to start to get to deal with them letting them play instruments and things like that 
And that led to a period of time when uh, Alcatraz got a little bit more opened up for people, which allows for a lot of other wacky shit to happen. But the bar none idea of the island is this. It's a rock in San Francisco Bay, all around you, surrounded by at least a mile and a half closest landmass of ice cold bay water. The currents and the tides are so strong that if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to make it even off the island. You'll get washed right up against the rocks again and crack your head and tear your skin to pieces. And even the strongest swimmers at the time wouldn't be able to just jump off the beach or whatever beach it was on the rock. It was like the cliffs, not really a beach, and make it to San Francisco city proper. So they dubbed it the impossible to escape island. You can't get off the rock. And on that note, I think we should get on into the section of the podcast where we talk about the people who tried to get off the rock. Well, we sure should. Escape from Alcatraz. Before we go there, got to mention real quick, didn't Whitey Bulger spend a couple years at Alcatraz? What? Whitey Bulger? It said he did. Why would he? He didn't even go to prison until he was an old man. Why does it say this on the internet? Well, the internet's always true, but whatever, no matter what you look at. So that obviously might have been it. I mean, he must have been a child when he went there, right? That's what I thought, because he didn't get fucked up till like... Uh... Yeah, he got caught when we were like 20. No, I know that, but like he... Did he spend no. time there when he was a young man? Dude, you know, he did. I'm not kidding. Really? Yes, when he was like in his 20s? God. I thought I was like, oh my God, I, I had a really bad source. Oh, you I know, didn't know he, this. He arrived in Alcatraz in 1958. Oh, damn. So how old was he then? Like, probably like you're like mid, early really 20s. Young 20s. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he, he must have just done the thing where it's like he's, you know, mob criminal plus extreme violence. We're sending him to Alcatraz. Yes, exactly. And he. I must have seen that on the tour and I totally forgot about it. Thank you. Yes, I had to mention that because I was like, I think this is true. And, right he, and as a result of his time spent there, he, uh, for the rest of his life, had insomnia and nightmares Damn. because of Alcatraz. And when he um, did eventually uh, get out, because as we know, he was on the run. He was FBI's number one most wanted for many years after yes. that occasion. Oh, yeah. So. He got caught. We were, we were just out of high school when he got caught. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. So going from Alcatraz, I mean, solidifying his rank as one of the number one most infamous criminals in U.S. history, for sure. Yep, exactly. And because we mentioned uh, Al Capone, Al Capone was part of a band and he played the, yeah, I think he played the banjo. Do you know that? No. And Alcatraz? Um, yeah. The, the house rock, band? The Alcatraz band, um, which was a privilege, as most things at Alcatraz were, they were right. granted yeah. privileges like the library. Best behavior. All that. Paintings, being able to paint. Um, read books, read whatever it is. It became privileges that could be taken away from you. And one of them was being on the coveted, super hard to get into Rock Islanders band. And <laughs> it wasn't a rock. It was a rock island. Exactly. Exactly. So Al Capone being himself and obviously being uh, mentally disabled at this point, um, wanted more than anything to be on the Rock Islanders because it did it did a lot. They they got like two hours a week for practice time or something stupid, but and they were accordingly according to Jim someone about as good as like a second grade, uh, you know. Um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. 
Yes, like a recorder band or whatever it is. Yeah. Like they were pretty bad, but it did a lot for these guys' self-esteem. It was a good Of course, band. yeah, something to do, something to grow Al Capone and eventually, eventually made it on the Rock Islanders, I think, with a banjo. Wow, so, you know, a little determination and some pretty, elbow grease. Pretty funny. So, Inspirational so, so we can officially wrap up the topic of what the fuck's going on over there. Next up, we got the meat, the the meat and bones of what's going on here and we got famous escapes what do you got we're talking about escape from alcatraz dude escaping from alcatraz the rock Escaping from Alcatraz, like Joe said. Um, we got we got a lot of attempts. What we do? Uh, just, just to like outside blank statements, and now now we go forward. So, like we said, there's all these different things that are against you ever getting off the island, rather than the fact that they already have sharpshooters all around and full security and spotlights. All said and done, Alcatraz had 14 total escape attempts on record combining of 36 prisoners so multiple attempts had multiple people involved so 36 prisoners 14 attempts 23 men were caught alive six men were shot and killed on site two of them drowned to their death and five of them are listed as missing and presumed drowned which i think is the most interesting category because they have never been confirmed no matter how much the alcatraz and federal prison system wants to let you believe that it has never been confirmed for sure. So all said and done, uh, that's the totals of the escapes. And I thought we might just go over some of the more famous or infamous ones for the pod, as we usually do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, just kind of to add, add something to what Joe just said there, the first uh, escape attempt was in 1936, and the last one was in 1962. So on average, you've got every every couple of years these are happening. yeah just about i mean on average every single year some years zero some years more than one you know mm-hmm. and an escape attempt required some serious ingenuity and like you mentioned earlier in the podcast you didn't have a whole lot of time outside or in, to really understand the infrastructure set up of this place so an escape attempt, obviously by design right the less the design, inmates know yeah. about the design the, the harder it is for them to devise the plan because if you got nothing but time you can't give them the opportunity you right. need time and opportunity to devise an escape they are they have all the time in the world you can't give them any opportunity or, or yeah exactly exactly and one of the only you know um did you ever watch prison break I watched the first season before yeah, it got so before it. they they found out that it was supposed to be just one season. They're like, "Oh shit, what do we do now that they broke out of prison?" <laughs> they did like four more seasons after they broke out. Like, "All right, put them back so in." They're in Mexico and you're like, "Come on." Like, yeah, it was ridiculous. The first season the first was season very was cool. Really though. really good. I mean, I really thought that was great and and he, you know, designed I mean, shows and movies about breaking out of prison are fucking amazing. Like Shawshank Redemption, Escape from Alcatraz, shit like that. Like it's all really cool stuff, the idea that. And I always love those video game levels where they you're in the middle of an RPG and, and they'll just take all of your items, all the shit you learned in the whole game, they'll throw you in a prison and then you just think you can get out. Like you can't. And then they make you be in prison for like a while. I love when video games do that because it's such an interesting idea to be like, you have all these skills, all these things you built up and now you're stuck here and we're yeah. putting you back to zero. What can you do here? 
and you know you're going to yeah. be there for a long time and just get involved with trying no, to break it's, out. No, it's actually a really – I feel what you're saying pretty hard because it's like all of a sudden you have all this stuff that built up your – that devised of your ego and what you thought you knew of yourself and skills. And then all of a sudden you're in money, people you're friends with. That's all out the window. Connections, this it. tools, you name it. Like just, just a toothbrush to brush your teeth with is barely a thing anymore. You know, like, mm -hmm. like almost nothing exists in your life besides you. That's it. That's right. You, know? you that's and your it. brain, if that's still intact, if it does, your syphilis didn't get to you yet. Handful of things that are there just because of, um, uh, I don't even know human. I don't even know if it's human rights. Like, what do you call just like being the ability to be able to take a shower every day? You know, like yeah, I guess it's, yeah, like necessities things like that. I thought it was interesting also that the showers on Alcatraz, they you would think they would just add a part of the torture. They give them cold showers. A lot of prisons even today they do cold showers. They're like you're not in there to enjoy enjoy yourself. They get clean, but on Alcatraz, oddly enough, they had hot showers but they had them extra hot. So they're uncomfortably hot that they would burn your skin. Oh, God. And that was not just to, cause now you're wasting fuel to heat them up. It was on purpose to try to get people to not get used to the cold waters of the San Francisco Bay. So they couldn't just sit in the shower for hours a day and get the cold water and start to develop the resistance to the cold. They didn't want any inmates getting used to cold water. So they did hot water, but just to fuck with them, made a little extra hot so they couldn't extra be comfortable. Hot. Wow, that's fascinating. I didn't know yeah. that. So they actually spent so, resources on heating water just to fuck them over in case they thought about trying to swim. Yeah, they can't deal with the cold water. That is something, man. That yeah. is totally nuts. So water was in the 50s, 50s, you know, so you get hypothermia pretty quick. Um, that is no totally wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so escape attempts. So we got 1936, 1962. Where do you want to start, Joe? Uh, so why don't you start with 36? Because my first one, notably, I, I start. I only have a couple of them. Obviously, the most famous two of them I have on here. But I have the 1943 one. So if you want to start with 36, I'll, you can start there, and then, I'll, and then I'll do the uh, the 46. Yeah, sounds good. We got prisoner AZ210, and I'm guessing AZ. A lot of every prisoner is an AZ, so it's an Alcatraz. Um, mm -hmm. oh, we've heard to mention that no one was was had their names in the entire time you're in Alcatraz. You have a number, and that's it. You're not allowed to be referred to as your name whatsoever. Even Al Capone, they called him AZ, whatever AZ, number whatever he was. And, so um, you're stripped of your identity completely. Yeah, just like uh, part of the psychological terror and being there. So 36. Yeah. It's only two years into the the prison being a federal prison, and someone's already trying to break out. Someone's already trying to break out. Exactly. So. Um, so our, our friend, uh, convict, uh, Joseph Bowers, um, born in 1896, uh, and he, uh, we got a couple of things going on here. Um, but he, he was the first person to try to escape Al uh, Alcatraz. I can't really I don't really have any information on what he did. Anyway, that's okay. You don't have to know about him, but if I you're like going to bring up, like you're like, I got a couple things about him. Uh, nothing at all. <laughs> like, well, then just don't mention that. Then just be like, oh, anyways, yeah, yeah. I just like to know though. Like, who was this? I agree. Guy? I agree. You like okay. to know. Prisoner AZ two ten. He his yeah. job was to burn trash at the incinerator. That's funny. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess yeah. You're not gonna spend the time shipping all the waste management off the island. Just fucking burn it right there. More gas. You don't have to spend you know, taking it off. Imagine every week the, the gas truck comes by, the gas ferry or the garbage ferry comes by. I mean, it's just one more chance to jump on board and take your shit, just burn it all on the island. 
Who cares about the environment? It's 1930. Just burning yeah, all the trash. Burn the trash. That's what the military does too. I mean, they still burn their like. They have like outhouses and they just burn stuff. Think about Vietnam, like the yeah, thing. including their it. shit, right? Like all yeah, of the way. Shit. Shit. Yeah. Um, so don't go try to grow crops in uh, Iraq. Um, so um, <laughs> in case you were thinking about it already, about get it out it. your head. It's not a good idea. The Fertile Crescent, it is no longer, unfortunately. Yeah. So so we just had to mention it. Joseph Bowers, um, he uh, he was burning trash, then decided to just run for it. So he um, he. Uh, yeah, he ran, tried to catch it, try to to uh, scale a chain link fence um, and uh, make it for the shore. And uh, he was caught, refused the order. So he didn't just get shot immediately. He was given orders to stop doing this, refused that. Um, and they shot him. And then he fell uh, 50 feet and died. Jesus. <laughs> so very Notable typical for of the- like someone who's just like impulsive and goes, I'm going to do it. And they, then they go and they say no. And then they shoot him. They fall 50 feet five stories yeah um, in case the the, the gunshot didn't take you down already you're definitely toast by the yeah, end of that one yep so that's- that was notable not only because he's the first guy to do it which i think is worth mentioning because he's the first guy ever to be reported trying to escape the rock because they're all they're doing is pounding your head all day how impossible it is and he's just burning trash in the daytime which a lot of these escapes will happen at night under the cover of darkness and he just goes fuck it i'm gonna go for it he obviously had no plan if you got to their water, what are you going to do then? But I like his impulsive major. Ah, I like fuck. that too, because I feel like that's what I would do, unfortunately. Yeah, he just felt the spirit within him and he got to fucking get out of here. And they just, rather, I mean, I think he had it better off than a lot of guys. Uh, I, certainly better than Alvin, who stayed there most of his life. Just climb the fence and, and they shoot you up. It, it's too bad, so sad. But what are, you, what are you doing in there, anyways? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't mean to get too morose about it you know, yeah. dying rather than being in prison. But I don't know if I'd want to spend 30 years in Alcatraz rather than just get shot for being an idiot. I'd rather get shot for being an idiot. Climb the fence. At least you tried, you know, at least you tried to get out. I don't know. Yeah, If I had friends, like if I was able to have some sort of friendship, I'd be, I could probably yeah. make it 30 years. But if I had nothing, I'd just be like, just, yeah. They, oh, if I get friends, I, if I had really good friends, like, like people who were already my friends, the outside in there, I could make it a little longer. Yeah, no problem. Yep. I couldn't make it 30 years even with you in there with me. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. I couldn't do it. Yeah, 30 years, man. That's rough to be in the same cell. I mean, that's like I mean, we, we haven't, you know, lived pra- that praise way. praise be to our Lord. We have so it would be from the moment you gain consciousness until now, you have to be in Alcatraz. No thanks, dude. I mean, he didn't make it to the full 30 just because it closed down, but he basically was in Alcatraz the entire time we've been alive. That's yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. And they also did the monotony is insane there. It wasn't about breaking it up. It was just the same thing every single day on purpose. Yeah, and, and, and like and, you said, and, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Yeah, you're going. Like you said, they're trying to, to deliberately keep your mind on certain things so that you don't notice the whole island. You can't get too creative. It's deliberately keeping you on the same track, which would drive me and absolutely insane for the majority of my life. I don't know how people ever do. Yeah, it's insane. And like they didn't let you have outside magazines like they didn't let people tell you what's going on in the world like it's really really yeah if i went there you I'd couldn't be doing prison tiktoks like you can today some sort of weird intuition that'd be like i probably died and i'm in like hell now or something like hell whatever that whatever that means like this is like something's really wrong with this situation yeah especially if you're in the hole for 10 days with no light i would start to think things like maybe i am Maybe I am dead. I don't know. I know yeah, that's what, what I my mind too. is anymore, you know? Yeah. 
So that's the first escape attempt. It's not that funny. So well, good for him. It's, not that, it's I, something I, that's that funny, but it's not. Yeah, funny. It's a little bit funny because he didn't. He didn't really try at all. He's kind of climb the fence, and they go, "We're gonna shoot you." Let's see. He goes, "No, I'm gonna keep going." Okay, we're gonna shoot you, and now you're gonna fall into the ocean. There's no way he's ever gonna get out of there. But I like how he's just. It's like, um, and, and a lot of movies that have this, but it's the first scene of the game Skyrim. When you're arrested, the guy just goes, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to get executed. And he starts running and everyone just kind of stares at him. And then one guy takes an arrow and puts it in his back. And they're like, why, why did you, you didn't think that through at all. I, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate yeah, yeah. your spirit. You're like, I'm just going to go for it. It's like, but there's no way you're gonna actually going to get out. It's just, it's more of an act of defiance, I guess. So you're like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You know? So I like that about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. So yeah, the first yeah. one that I saw was a couple of years later uh, after Alcatraz really got its footing was the uh, in 1943, April 1943, which I called the Can Jam Escape. Can Jam. And that one goes like this. Four men cut the bars in the industry building, which there was a section of the prison, like we mentioned, that they had yes. a different kind of thing, industry, whether it's, you know, building things, selling things out, whatever, mini town. So they come up with the, they obviously have been working there for a time. They had to, they decide to cut the bars out. They're not just going to jump out and make a run for it though. They have a little bit of a plan. They have these metal cans that they've procured for themselves as well as stolen over the course of the laundry four army uniforms. They have four army uniforms and four metal canisters. And their idea is they're going to take these cans as a flotation device. They're going to jump out into the bay. They're going to float their way to San Francisco as soon as they reach land. Crack them open, put on army uniforms. It's 1943. We're in the middle of World War II. What was the big deal? A couple of guys with army uniforms walking through San Francisco? Not, a, not an odd sight. Oh, you look a little haggard. Yeah, yeah, I've been getting drunk on, you know, in San Francisco, whatever. That's their idea. Blend themselves in. Of course, it gets a little more difficult than that. They do uh, get out through those windows, and as soon as they hit the water, uh, people start to notice what's going on here. Spotlights on them and the guns are blazing. They start raining down hellfire on them. Those expert marks I mentioned earlier are not bad shots. And they started to get they started to get shot one by one. Let me just read it out so I don't screw it up. So uh, one, of the, one of the men was shot immediately and he sank down to the depths of, of the bay, unfortunately. Uh, he was trying to, one of his buddies was trying to hold him up as soon as he saw him get shot, cause he let go of his can, his can goes floating away. And um, the guards come up on the secondary guy and they put guns on him. He puts his hands up. The guy sinks down to the depths of the bay. They arrest him back into the prison. The guy who first got shot, his body's never been found. So we assume he's drowned and dead. Cause at the time he didn't really try to swim. He kind of just sank to the bottom, which means that he probably died that day. But two of them uh, got away and the other two which one was shot, he was presumed that he was drowned and dead. The other one they couldn't find. They started to scale the island over the next 24 hours because they have two guys, one they've seen die, one is back in the prison, and two are missing and one's shot. They end up going through the whole island. They find a little cave, and one of the men is in there, the one who was shot, and they go, oh, we found you. Nice try. I was hiding in the cave. They go, oh, I didn't make it out. They bring him back up that day. There's one missing, and they figure – he's definitely drowning in, in the bay. I mean, they didn't even make it that far and all the cans are floating away. Who knows what happened? Three days later, the guy is found in the prison because he was hiding in a cave as well. And he was so starving and hypothermic that he actually crawled himself back up into the prison complex and passed out and they found him the next day. 
So out of that escape, one confirmed dead, two were brought back in, and one of them um, could have just died in that cave, but he instead he decided to climb up back to safety because he thought there's no way I'm making a swim at this point. And uh, they were all cut up to shit on the rocks and everything. But I thought that was interesting. It was the first escape I saw that was planned out beforehand, but it didn't go that great as a lot of Alcatraz escapes don't go. A lot of forethought, but. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not enough thought. And if one thing goes wrong, it's just the whole thing scrapped. Absolutely. But I, I also do respect that going forward. It's like, even if it's like not a whole lot of thought, one thing goes wrong, better than nothing. You got to try to get out, you know? I yeah. thought it was interesting to mention that in most countries in the world, not most countries, I shouldn't say that. It used to be in most countries. And in a lot of countries now, it is not illegal to escape prison. Uh, to, or uh, It's not illegal to attempt to escape prison. It's legal. It's illegal to be out of prison and they find you. That's illegal. But to try to escape prison in a lot of countries, they can't charge you with a crime because a lot of countries believe that like it's the indomitable spirit of the human soul. And that used to be also a law in America that you cannot punish a man for trying to be free. It's an inherent part of being human. You try to be free and to be locked in a cage is not part of being human. So if you try to escape, they can't convict you of a crime for trying to escape because you're supposed to be doing that. You're a living animal. You want to be free and be alive. So they can't punish you for the very fact you're trying to get out. But obviously within the intervening years of the American justice system it is now highly illegal to escape and they will tack on decades on your sentence if you ever even attempt to leave. So with the military, I mean, if you, if you, you know, like in World War II, if I don't know if the Americans are this, but I know the Germans, if you, in the Russians, if you decide you you're got you have orders to charge mm-hmm. and you turn the other way they just shoot and kill you yeah i think that america used to do that probably uh, but during world war ii they wouldn't immediately kill you but you would be brought Try up you. and you would be you'd be put in a military prison for doing that yeah yeah but yeah, i just thought that was interesting to say that like even like yeah countries like now the worst prisons in the world like in like fucking South America, they're overpacked. There's no food, and they still won't give you more time on your sentence for trying to escape. They're like, they're like, we get it. I would try to get out too. We're not going to let you leave. You might get shot in the fucking head if you leave, but we're not going to give you an extra ten years just for trying to leave. Which now they do do that. If you try to leave, they will add to your sentence no matter who you are. So that seemed interesting to me. An Alcatraz, why not try to escape? They're not going to add more to your sentence. But they will probably shoot you, and it's more likely you're going to die, of course. But yeah. They're not going to say, you're doing 10 more years, buddy. You shouldn't have tried to leave. They just go, yeah, you didn't leave. Sorry. Yep. Back yeah. in the hole with you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really something. So, um, I think the next, next one would probably be 46, right? Yeah, chronologically, we're at the battle. The, uh, the most violent escape in Alcatraz history. Yeah, so... Um, it was a uh, attempt by six prisoners, um, and we got Bernard Coy, Joseph Kretzler, Kretzer, Sam Shockley, who was important, Clarence Carnes, Marvin Hubbard, and Marin Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. They took control of the cell house by overpowering the officers. And yeah, and this one's called the Battle of Alcatraz, which we mentioned earlier, just because a little bit more planning than the Can Jam, probably, because they thought of it beforehand, they coordinated it, and... And, you know, they carried out the, the attack and the assault. But uh, like Dylan said before, it doesn't always go exactly the way you think it's going to go. A little sideways. Yeah, and you got six, excuse me, six guys here, which is like six contingencies and six 
types of like a lot of variables sure a lot of variables you know and we saw that with you know in the future with some of these other escape attempts um the more people the more the more personalities the more egos the more like people just not holding to it you know there's just so many things with six guys so these guys all those guys you know hubbard bernard clarence whatever their aim was to escape by boat from the dock and their one number it was all reliant on getting keys to the outside door that alone though it seemed like the smartest way to get off the island if you can get a boat that's how the guards get off the island that's a good way to get if you can get a boat you don't have to swim or float on a can yeah. or anything you just get the boat get the keys you're there baby no time flat exactly exactly so they you need those keys though you know, those keys, um, they didn't really get them. So they just held correctional officers hostage, um, who they'd then killed after two days. Um, well, let's not blow by it. They went to, to what you said, the shooting gallery you mentioned earlier, and they got weapons from there because, like you said, the guards didn't carry on weapons. They had to break in to that uh, particular block and get the weapons, and they did. They were able to hold hostages because they had active firearms, which was not which is new for Alcatraz. So the first ones ever to acquire weapons when they were there. And they held there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're, so they're blasting away. They're blasting away. Um, but after after a while, they some of some of those guys, so some of the six like post out and they decided to just go back to their cells. And then there was right. three left of the six, Koi, Kretzler, and Hubbard. They kept fighting. And then so this is what happened. So their their plan already got fucked up off the bat. The keys. Mm-hmm. No boat keys. We're now we're just doing a hostage situation, and what are we going to negotiate with the yeah. the Alcatraz guard? Now we're just kind of sitting here with yeah. guns. We just have hostages, and then they killed the hostages. So now it's just three guys with guns. Yeah. Um, now now they get rounds. So then the U.S. Marines were called in, and it was game. Which over. I love that the Marines were called in at this time. This is just at the tail end of World War II. Exactly. These guys have seen real fucking combat. Now they're going like, into a... not a, a problem. It's yep. fish in a barrel. They're probably out there with their cigarettes and go, okay, it's easy enough. Start tossing grenades in, yes. apparently. They drilled holes in the roof and just tossed grenades because they said, hey, uh, one year ago, we were in Japan and this is what we did. <laughs> yeah, we could like, give we a fuck there, about we you We're the ones who did. We, we just cornered the Japanese in their little cave situation. And it was a, again, fish in a barrel situation. So that sounds like it's going to work here. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and they dropped the grenades in, cornered them, um, killed them. And that was it. End of story. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the three men who, who survived um, the Battle of Alcatraz were, I'm sure, the ones you said that, that gave up early. And they, they, they in fact, were tried. Um, not not tried for escaping, but tried because of the, the deaths and the injuries involved. All said and done, three of the escapees were killed, uh, two guards were killed, and 17 guards and another prisoner was injured during the Battle of Alcatraz. So even just the 17 guard injuries and the two guards killed, like you said, that'll, that'll get you in there for a while. And uh, that was still the most violent escape of all time. And when you're on there on tour, they show you the sections they take you through where they brought the hostages and everything. And there's still bullet holes in the walls from the battle of Alcatraz that they've never, obviously it's a landmark. Now they would never repair them, but it's interesting to see that in 1946, a bullet went by a person's head or through their body and went into the wall. You can see where the hole is from that very occasion. The entire facility is it's never been refurbished. So every, every scar, every footstep is still there which I think is just really interesting. 
Yeah, that is really, really cool when you said stuff. Like, I haven't, I obviously haven't been there, but, um, but, uh, I have seen, um, like naval ships and stuff like that that have like battle damage. And it's like, that's actually yeah. what happened at this moment. You're, you're witnessing history. You can see yeah. the history right there. I think it's just fucking fascinating. I love shit like that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that's, um, I really do too, because you can kind of feel the energy. Like, this was like a, yeah, you can kind of put yourself in that in the shoes of that time and think what it would be like to be there and how, how oh, yeah. terrifying absolutely. and violent and crazy it was at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we just covered 19. That was still 19. That was the 40s. This was this is early Alcatraz. Right after World War II. So, um, yeah, my attempts, now I kind of go right into, you know, there was two or three before, in the middle of... Um, uh, the forties and the ultimate escape. Yeah. Attempt. You have to imagine they clamped down quite a bit on uh, the escape attempts after the battle of Alcatraz. Cause even though that uh, didn't work out well for the inmates, it still saw the death of two guards and it had the inmates getting weaponry, which is a really bad sign for the most notorious, you know, inescapable prison in the world. Not really cool. You have to pull the Marines in there. It's that's not a good look. So I'm sure they started clamping down quite a bit. Yeah, and with fourteen so escape that. attempts altogether, two of them being in the forties, you know, they sprinkle in between, but not a whole lot of ones that are very successful. A lot of you know minor versions of people trying to slip out one way or another. One of my favorite ones is the guy who was working in the uh, the tailoring and the industry, and the one of the women who was on or married to someone on staff was one a dress made for a public event, and the the man made the dress for her. And instead of giving it to her, he put it on and, and made it all the way to the docks before they caught him. He wore a dress. He walked right out, walked all the way to the docks, and they go, wait a minute. You kidding me? <laughs> wait a minute. You, you, th- those boobs aren't even real. Also, you're a man, and you're ugly. You're in your 40s. <laughs> he made it all the way to the docks. I mean, you're never going to make it up. It was one of the more creative escapes I heard about. Well, he was yeah. like, I could give her this dress that I've made, or I could use it myself to try to saunter my way out. And he made it the whole way to the docks before they said, eh, okay. You go. <laughs> Something doesn't look right here. I mean, I don't know if she ever got that dress. It'd be kind of hard to give it to her after that. But I hope she, I hope she wore it stunningly and said, a man tried to escape prison with this dress just the other day. He made it just yeah. for me. Oh, God, that's funny. I hope so. I really yeah. do. I really hope so. Because that's hilarious. That's a fun one. And, and again, everyone's going through crazy things. It's like, just pretend to be a woman because there's this, we didn't mention it, but this is not a woman's prison. It's just for men. <laughs> it's just for men. It's for men. That's yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just another example of you got all the time in the world and all the desperation. So why not just give it a shot? You know? Give it a shot. Yeah. And lucky for him, he wasn't shot in that escape attempt because... <laughs> They didn't. They, they want to shoot a lady. Imagine, can you imagine being like, like that's this is how it goes down. You put on like a women's wedding dress and you're like, I'm gonna escape from prison. You're not, <laughs> yeah, it's like a like, gown too, like all the way down. <laughs> she like blows out your chest. And you're like, damn it, <laughs> this didn't work out. Like, they bury you in the in the gown you made. At least you made it yeah. yourself. You know? You're wearing a women's dress and you just get your arm blown off and you're like, shit. You're like, <laughs> you're like, Jesus, I know I go like this. Oh god. Damn. Yeah, and the guy and the men right in the bustier, fucking ma. Ah, yeah, and the men back then were just like what you just did. They're so hardcore. Like they weren't like someone in the middle who were like. It's like these were like, there was no, like, 
gender roles were so solidified. No. That- and if you're an Alcatraz, you weren't being like, I can probably pass off as a woman. It's like, no, you can't. Yeah. Before you even open your mouth, we can see you're not. And as soon as you do, we're, we everybody smoked a pack a day if you're a guy. Everybody did guy stuff. Everyone was a little bit borderline aggressive as men. Like it was like this different era of like, yep. like, like salty fucking like wrinkly men who were mostly European who just got, who just like, there's just no passing off for a woman. Like it's just not happening. Like, Hurry up and get the propeller spinning. I'm late for my gala tonight. I don't want to be late for my party. Yeah, exactly. They had no control. Like as far as emotional control goes, I feel like people like who are born in like the, the great uh, era were so had no tolerance for things outside of like what their religion said them to do and what their gender roles said them to do and oh, what yeah. their military background taught them on top of probably their parents beat the shit out of them when they were kids of on course. top and of, then the mean like, streets plus what? a life of crime living in prisons for 10 years none of that is making you more open-minded to no no open-mindedness was just not like a it just wasn't it just no. wasn't part of their culture and it no. wasn't, and it wasn't beneficial to them. Acceptance. It was, no, and it wasn't all. So everybody was fucking salty and, and there was no, there was no, absolutely no like gray area for that, you know? And it was just, yep. it's funny. So you get a, you get a guy, a salty fucking motherfucker who's, a veteran who probably has a bolt in his ass at the very least and never said a word about it. And he's got a dress on. Like I'm picturing my grandfather wearing a dress <laughs> trying to say, exactly. it's just like, you gotta be buddy. You just, there's no way you can pull that fucking off. Like they chamber around. Like we got one making a strut for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the guys up there are the same guy. It's the same type of person who's just like, also like, well, we just have to kill him. And he's shooting someone in a dress. <laughs> it's fun. Beautiful it's lady's funny. got a nice pair of shoulders on her. She's making a saunter for it. Exactly. Let loose. Yeah, and they were all physically fit because there was no other option. Like, <laughs> it's funny. Oh, it's definitely funny. Um, and again, Absolutely. they're all proper. They're all just. It just was so. It was like almost like a binary way to live back then. So, like, it was just no joke. Things you had to worry about religion and and what everyone else was doing. So, anyways, so that that leads us. Past the, you know, dress guy to, I don't know, you ready for this, Joe? Yeah, I think so. Do you mind if we we take a pee break before we get into it? Because I think this is going to lead us into the rest of the show. Yeah, how about a word from our sponsors? We'll see you guys after that. the nuts and bolts of course it's the one we're all been talking about all been waiting for the most famous escape from alcatraz of all time and it's in 1962 if i'm not mistaken dylan am i right about that it's in 1962 let's get into it let's get into it we got we got actually a group of four guys but mostly a group of three guys led Mm. by renowned genius high iq frank morris and frank morris 
Frank Morris. Nice looking chap. Am I wrong? He's a looker. What are you going to say? Definitely a looker. Um, Frank Morris. And then we've got the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence Anglin. Exactly. The Anglin brothers themselves. Two brothers in prison together at Alcatraz. Like to keep them together like kids in a foster home. It's very strange to have two brothers in this federal penitentiary together. Um, I'm guessing they would have put the Boston Bombers in there together, but one of them didn't get out the boat, unlike Alcatraz. That was not, uh, we didn't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's real. Couldn't help myself. Yeah, fuck that guy. He got killed. So, um, um, but three out of four, it's like the Beatles. It's like being the original drummer of the Beatles, right? No one knows the guy before Ringo because uh, he never really made it to the big time. We right. only know about Morris and the England brothers. The fourth guy, we'll get into it. Not not famous, unfortunately for him. Not famous. In the movie The Escape from Alcatraz, um, he was played by Kramer before Kramer was. By Michael Richards? Yes. That's insane. And uh, I'm not going to go into any more jokes about that or get myself in any more trouble. We're not going to do it, but it was him. So um, anyways, uh, yeah, so Frank Morris, played by Clint Eastwood in the movie. Mm-hmm. Very important to know. Um, uh, he had a life... The mastermind. We might go about his little background here. He was in the top 2% of the population for, for IQ numbers. Could be in Mensa. What? With- Oh, Mensa is this organization of people who are like certified geniuses. You can like sign up for it and pay dues and all that shit. Not important. Yeah. But yeah. There's a big thing back in those days, though, for testing IQs. Like, uh, you know, like I just feel like that's when people were getting their IQ tested all the time was in like the 60s. Yeah. I wonder how much that holds up. I'm sure a lot of people were still geniuses. We'd call them today, but I don't know. An IQ test in 1960, I don't know if that holds up in 2020. I think it's well, a lot more intricate it, it, it ways really to learn people's intelligence too much. And then there's also been a big change over the past 10 years in like what, how people learn. Um, yeah. Different ways to learn and different ways to be intelligent. Well, people can be person, savants and they can be the highly intelligent and then maybe they can't do a lot of, you know, English reading, you know, and all that shit. Like, you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like the, the comprehension, bird, the Birdman, for, for example, had an IQ of 110, but he was, clearly a level of intelligence more than most people. Whereas sure. Frank Morris is probably around 130. Mm-hmm. Um, 130 is the, is the like super intelligence type person, but it means that they score um, like a, a good percentage on, on the, the basics like math, reading, writing. Yeah. I think you have to be over 130 to be considered a, like a, a genius. And then you can like, join right, Mensa. Like 140 or something. Like, right, yeah. Something like that. Right. Like the, the numbers are not that pretty crazy. rare to have like some sort of spectrum of autism. It's like under a hundred double mm-hmm. digits. So, um, so that's Frank Morris. Um, not an idiot, smart guy. Um, he's, um, at Alcatraz for, for attempting to escape, uh, other prisons and his crimes before that were a lot of like, um, break, breaking enterings, uh, armed robberies, um, yeah. scoundrel crimes. Stuff. Yeah. I guess we didn't mention that earlier is another part of Alcatraz, especially after the 40s when they're trying to make it a high profile place is to say, we have people who are habitual offenders of trying to escape. Let's put them in the rock where it's impossible to escape, quote unquote. And that might be a way to punish them and keep them from escaping again, which a couple of criminals who were in there were there just for the very fact they keep trying to escape regular penitentiaries. Well, then you're going to Alcatraz, try to escape there. 
Well, that's why I mentioned the, the start of this podcast was that like, um, disobey the laws of society and um, you get sent to prison. Disobey the laws of prison, you get sent to us. Welcome to Salem, brother. Aptly um, said. And that just really summarizes this whole entire podcast is that Alcatraz is not the first stop. Um, it's just not. No, it's not. And even though over the time period of Alcatraz, it started to get a lot less just high profile and uh, a lot more vindictive as time goes on. For example, one man was sent to Alcatraz and his crime was stealing a pig. But again, he wasn't sent straight to Alcatraz. He must have pissed off a couple of CEOs along the way who had a personal vendetta against him and got him transferred there because no one ever got arrested and the cops brought him to Alcatraz. It's just not the case. Yeah. You get sent there. Yeah, exactly. So like what really probably did it for Frank Morris is that he escaped from the Louisiana state penitentiary while serving 10 years for bank robbery. There you go. Um, And he made it a year out and then he got recaptured um, again for committing burglary. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when he was sent to Alcatraz in 1960. That's right. Especially that's how you think that you, you get away for a year and as soon as they pull you over in a traffic violation nowadays, you go back in prison. And this guy was like, oh, I got caught robbing a bank again. You would have got caught if you never were in prison before. He would have got caught anyways. It just happened to be that he was an escaped convict at the same time. I mean, nowadays, you got to get the fuck out of Dodge. You don't have to rob another bank to get caught now. Sorry, I'm digressing. It's just so strange that he he wouldn't have gotten caught ever. He could have made it out of the prison and just never gone back. Let's yeah. stop robbing just, banks. Could have just, just, hey, just, just do one thing. Just don't rob banks anymore. Yeah, now if you break out of prison, your job is to never be seen by society. At the time, all it was is don't get caught robbing a bank again, even though you're going to rob banks. It's an insanely low bar to get across, but, you know. Well, I just can't imagine. It's just kind of a funny lifestyle. Like, you wake up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to rob a bank. Um, I'm out of money. How else am I going to get paid? I have to take it from a bank. I can't go to work. You're going to hire me? As soon as they look at my... uh, (laughs) I'm gonna go chill on my deck. As soon as they look at my Facebook profile and my record, they're gonna be all they're gonna be all like against me here. No, you could make up a fucking fake name and go work on a railroad for a year. You'd be just fine. They'd never catch you ever. Nope. All you have to do is get out. They'll never fucking catch you. Yep. And this isn't that long ago, not even hundred years ago. If you got out, say my name's John Johnson. Work on a railroad. It sucks. You'll never go. You're not gonna go to prison again. Yeah. You'll be fine. It, it would suck for you, but you don't have to be locked up again. Can't. You can take the prison, the prisoner out of prison. You can't take the prisoner out of the prisoner kind of deal. Whatever, I fucked it up, but you whatever, know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So that's life Frank, of crime, in other words. Frank Sorry, Morris, fucking your thing. He's cool. He robs banks. Um, Did it again. Terrence Anglin. Um, they, uh, yeah, they uh, were one of thirteen. So like each of them. So like they were. You know, so they, they, they had a really rough family life, I'm sure, without even being well, one of them. And same, same with our boy, uh, our, our friend here, Frank Morris. He, he was orphaned. He was, he was an orphan since fucking day one. Um, it's rough upbringing. Yeah. I mean, the Clarence, uh, not the Clarence, John and Clarence's mother, the, the England mother, I mean, her, her husband could have learned a thing or two from Al Capone, which is wear a condom, dude. Yeah. Solves yeah. a lot of problems. Kids. Whether it's syphilis or childhood neglect. <laughs> It solves a lot of problems and you can still get to get off. Yeah. Not out of prison, but all right, I'll be here all week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And these guys, that's my time. folks. Be, all of these guys, like the, the Anglin brothers would be just about 90 now if they were still alive. Like that's not that crazy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if they are still alive. Uh, we think they're dead. Um, but they, uh, yeah, um, 1930. Like one was born in 19, John was born in 1930. Clarence was born in 1931. Mm. They all disappeared, obviously, uh, June 11th, 1962. Oh, that's not big, obviously. You just skipped over the whole story. How obvious is it? it's gonna we're gonna get to that so um they there's just so much going on here there were farmers and laborers mm-hmm. and, and then what at, like and england brothers they they weren't all, they weren't stupid but they clearly weren't nearly as smart as uh as morris yeah, they definitely was. weren't dumb though but like right when we all as boys and, and young men started having fun these guys started breaking the law like genuinely breaking the law breaking the law oh another song we can put in so in like the 1950s, these guys are again t- teenagers um, or early 20s. They just started fucking robbing banks like the rest of them do, um, and uh, and That's they just want to make sure no one got injured. They used a, a weapon one time, a, a toy, um, and they were finally arrested in 1958 after robbing a bank of Columbia in Alabama. Um, and uh, long story short, they used toy guns. They got 15, 20 years. And so they weren't going to shoot anybody because they they couldn't. They didn't even use real weapons. Yeah, they didn't use real weapons. And then they just they, then they they went to like Florida and Alabama penitentiaries and they kept trying to break out. Sent to Alcatraz. That was it. Too many attempts to break out. You go yeah, on the rock. Fails attempts to escape from the Atlantis facility specifically. They were transferred to Alcatraz, which is just so funny that they just kept them together. It's like you should separate them. It's so yeah, you always would separate that. The first time they tried to break out, I'd be like, "You're getting separated." So if you're causing trouble in, a, in an elementary school classroom, they separate you immediately. Yeah. Stop talking yeah. to each other. If they interrogate you for a crime, they separate you. But these two brothers who are trying to escape, they keep sending them together. It's such a strange thing. Yeah, I mean, you you guys are listening to two people who are they told Dylan, you can't sing to Joe anymore. <laughs> that happened on <laughs> multiple occasions. Joe had a thing like, you guys, no, no, you're not allowed to sing to Joe. And you're like, oh, come on, why not? They wouldn't just move us around the room next to each other. They'd separate us. That's like, the deal. Yeah. Sit next to Joe in math class. And these guys are trying to break out of a federal prison, and they still won't separate like, them. Right, it's a weird mentality. You still, you still cause trouble from the Oh, you can still figure it out. Yeah, you across the room, yeah. <laughs> that is so odd that they kept them together. It's like they're asking for trouble. Together. I'm like, what do you expect from this? Of course. So, um, so yeah, so you got the Anglin brothers, and you got Frank Morris, and then what's the third guy's name? I always forget. The fourth guy, yeah, I don't remember his name. Uh, we're gonna call him uh, not Ringo because he never made the, the headlines there. I can look him up as we're talking here, but uh, yeah, he's, he's unimportant. Because I'll I'll get into it. So like, long story short, they um, we got Frank Morris, Anglin brothers. And he must have got along with them pretty well if he decided to divulge this plan he had. And obviously, he knows that they are habitual escapees, and so is he. They both have that spirit of freedom and trying to break out. So maybe that's why he confided in them. I'm not really sure about that part of the story of why he decided that he could trust these brothers uh, with this plan. All I can say is based off of the movie Escape from Alcatraz um, from the 70s with. with Clint Eastwood um, is that they all sat at the lunch table together in the, the hierarchy of the prison was pretty tight. So prisoners were just like not snitches because it just wasn't a good idea for them. And then they all wanted to get out of there. They all realized that, Hey, our, we're, we're all, we all have one thing in common. We fucked up at other prisons because we all have the same mentality. Like we want to get out of here. So yeah. Um, a lot so of the times, uh, some of the escape attempts, they would tell more people 
um, increasing the variables of fucking up, like you said earlier, but in the other attempts, they would tell more people would be like, not that there'd be more snitches. They'd have more of a buffer. Like, yeah. I'm going to do it this night. Everyone help me out. Like, whatever you can do. Some people would like, you know, distract the guards. They do whatever. They wouldn't get convicted of it, but it would be like, we're all on the same team here. Whereas a lot of times that today in prison, if you tell someone you're trying to escape, they go right to the CEO, they get six months off their sentence, and then you get yeah. 10 more years. So yeah, it's exactly. a lot tougher so to pull that's off. exactly it. So like, this is before that time of like, before that you guys are, are genuine snitches. We're going to reduce your time spent here mm -hmm. um, or give you more, you know, uh, you know, Debbie snacks at lunch, like, Hostess. but like, yeah. so it's not to say that Frank Morris didn't make deals with people. So he was the ringleader of this whole thing. Frank Morris, AKA Clint Eastwood in the movie. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he, he had a couple of friends in there who he made, um, and uh and made deals about yes exactly that hey um if i if i get you hair or whatever we'll get there later in a second but um you every every time you get a you get a treat at lunchtime goes on my plate and goes deal no problem um so that's, that's kind of how it was done um but he so these guys so frank morris devised a plan smart guy super high iq he started to just study his cell the way he realized that the big part of escaping from Alcatraz has to do with step one is the only way out of the cell is through the vent. There is a mm -hmm. ventilation shaft. Um, we got to let them get some ventilation, but you, you can't go straight to the bars. I mean, if you, even if you can cut, cut through them, it's the first place people are going to look when they do rounds is through the bars. So the best way to get, which they the did vent. every other hour. They did every checks hour, in the yeah. cells every other hour. Let's say 12 a day. Sorry. It's not the same as every other hour. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just Told because me. sleeping, sleeping time is, is a little different. So, mm -hmm. um, so basically he doesn't, there's almost no time to be able to like finagle shit around, but they figured it out. Um, and they realized that just like you said, Joe, when you're standing, when you're actually standing in the corridor, like you are right now, um, the salty air comes through. So it actually corroded this, the cement. Mm -hmm. Um, so over time he started to realize like, Hey, this chips off really not that hard. It's not that hard to get it off. So, not like freshly uh, hardened cement. It's just been breaking down mm -hmm. since, you know, the early 1900s or yeah. uh, so I'm sorry, the late 1800s when they first built the fort. I mean, obviously they built bigger cell blocks when they made it a military prison, but this isn't getting a refurbished every 10 years redoing it. This is the original thing with all that salty air and neglect on purpose. A lot of times you go, oh, your cell's kind of shitty. Good. They treat it as like a punishment thing, but actually it's deteriorating the infrastructure. Exactly. So Frank just realized this. And then once you get, so if you can see through that ventilation, like channel there, you can realize this is an unmanaged or unsupervised corridor, a separate one. So they mm -hmm. could, they could do what they want back there. Part one, getting out of the cell. Um, that required Frank to teach the other guys, the, the, um, uh, the England brothers, how to do that. They used like basically sharpened, uh, forks and stuff he was able to actually weld something together with matches and yeah that wasn't for months after he started yeah. uh digging into the vents that he actually found uh whatever piece of silver or whatever he had to weld onto it to make he made it twice as good and all it is is a little handheld material trying to dig yeah. into that i mean obviously we think of things like prison movies like this like like the, the escape from alcatraz or the shawshank redemption to be like oh isn't that what prisoners do no 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 this is what prisoners do this is the version this is the one you're thinking of yeah 
this is the version of slowly over time digging away and planning it out and what am i going to do when i get out and uh there's no sewer pipe to freedom as there is in shawshank you're on the fucking rock so you better yeah, plan Shawshank beyond that part compared to this it digging really- through the through the vent is nearly impossible that's step one yeah step one then what then what um, so they had to dig through it and then the same thing is that the guards walk by frequently so um you have to have people looking out for you and saying like like whistling hey they're coming so you can either get out or put a you know whatever it is so like so step one was to get through that that vent did that that probably took who knows who knows how many weeks to be able to channel it rear for your shoulders to get through mm-hmm. and yeah you talked about before if you ever get talked or you ever got caught talking you go in the hole those That's times not- are over but if you ever yeah. get caught doing anything in your cell you're going in the hole that'll really fuck up your plan if they find out you're digging not only are you going in the hole, they find your plan, they seal it up, and that whole amount of planning and preparing and all that shit's all out the window. So yeah, the exactly. deeper you get into digging, the more the stakes are higher and higher and higher and higher every time. And you gotta remember yourself that there's like these like the guards want better for their own lives. So they're of if they are if they if they're the one who found out that there's a huge escape attempt. They huge get money they get promoted they get better the incentive better. is insane to stop you so and the incentive to not let people escape on your watch if you're the only guy to ever have someone break through his cell on your watch in alcatraz who buddy yeah they might throw you in the hole you, you're gonna hit you your job's gonna hit you your money's gonna suck you're gonna get fired you're it's gonna just, be it's shit. Just so bad so like there's it's not like there's just like this robot that's going back and forth that you have to avoid it's like this is a human who has intuition mm-hmm who yep. wants to be a snitch. They're yeah, it's not like Metal Gear Solid where you're looking for the the, the visibility cones and you're kind of sneaking yes. back and forth. Like, this is real shit. It's unpredictable. A lot of moving parts here. A lot of moving parts. Insane amount of luck. Um, oh, yeah. Let's not forget anyway, that. So a lot of luck was, is necessary, too. Yeah. Exactly. So step one was to figure out the great. Step two was to create a fake human. So they used uh, paper mache mixed with, with the cement that they took off of the walls mixed mm-hmm. with water mixed with whatever they could mixed with human hair from their friend who was a, who cut the hair yeah the barber uh, of the prison they could take the, the human hair and stick it on top of the paper mache head so if guards did come by when they were already in the vents they could shine their light in and go oh he's he's there yeah he's asleep human hair in there so they would actually get human hair and we'll post a picture right now of of the actual the head they have it at the museum or alcatraz obviously absolutely incredible yeah and they did a recreation of the cell it's 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 not the real thing but they'll show you like what it looked like when they showed up it's like how would anyone fall for that it's like well how would you know it's 1960 you wouldn't think that they go this is there's no way of course why would you ever think oh hair we just like they did they just did it perfectly absolutely right with a ton of risk i mean the risk oh yeah the chance of them pulling this off was like probably 10%. I mean, I think it's much lower than that 10%. I think it's, it's 1% to actually pull it off every time. Like I said, you're risking it. You're adding to more and more danger and more and more obvious that you're doing it. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting also to say that you're digging all the cement out. It didn't just disappear into the ether. Yeah. It fall on the ground. So they'd have to take it all out and put it in their shirt sleeves they have to shake it out of their pant legs and their shirt sleeves on the yard to try to dissipate the amount of debris they're pulling out of there because you're pulling out cubic feet of material. You can just have that drop in yourself. Where did all that come from? Well, I don't know. I just took a really ugly shit. No, you didn't. You've been digging in the fucking walls. You have to hide all of that. So every single part of it, even the debris had to be hidden and meticulously 
divvied out amongst people. It's just so much planning. Exactly. So every single, every single piece was thought out from this. So eventually the plan comes to be, they've got four guys, they're going to do this. They're going to meet at a certain time, lights out, get out of your cell, get up through this. It's go time. It's nice tonight. Realize that there's like other bars to get through. They figured it all out, get on the roof, hide behind things. And then, then more importantly, they also that, had to put in a fake great yeah, from where they came. Just, just exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, and so they, they did. They get they get some materials from the shop, but yeah, they had yeah. to make a fake grate, which is yeah, like a great so much cool. extra. Yeah, they had they had in the movie they had um, inspections where someone would come in and look under the bed, look at things, look at the grate, kick the grate, and then they go, "All right, all's good here. We'll see." Yeah, because the grate wasn't just when they made the escape; it was every time they had to stop digging, they had to put up a fake grate instead, just to prove that it was still there. Because, yeah, I mean, they they would know right away. Other words yeah, like they didn't have the poster of the the chick from the movie from shawshank you know even if they did they tear that shit down they don't look they don't go oh i don't want to ruin your feng shui in your cell over here this is alcatraz motherfucker yeah, this is alcatraz you have no rights so um on top of that so the, one of the most amazing feats of the whole thing is making the life rafts and life preservers so again same thing they had a connection at lunchtime where they made all these plans just mm-hmm. eating, eating food um, to collect a lot of raincoats and they glued those raincoats together to make a life raft so they could, but it wasn't like a life raft. You think it was like a big, it was a big pool noodle essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just a flotation device. Not like a it, dinghy that they would just hold on to like this and swim. And um, yeah. And their plan wasn't necessarily to do the usual thing, which is let's get right to San Francisco the city right away they were hoping that if they got on this makeshift raft it would take them to angel island which is north of alcatraz and once they're there they're home free but they're hoping that they wouldn't have to do the uh michael phelps power swim straight to the the city they wanted to try to use this device to take them there because i mean they're there you know 20 plus years after alcatraz has been established and they've seen these escape attempts they've seen the can jam attempt They've seen guys getting shot over the fence. They know that you can't just jump. Getting over the fence isn't the way to get out of Alcatraz. They had a lot more planning involved, which happens to do with this raincoat raft they make, which I think is a genius idea. Yeah, getting on the roof, getting the raincoat raft. They had to glue it together. And then they had um, to climb down the roof. Yeah. And there's no ladders. No. Yeah. They climbed down on pipes. Pipes. Yeah. With the raft on hand. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then something crazy is that Frank Morris, when he went to prison, Suddenly after he decided to pick up accordion. Um, so yes, I forgot to mention that it really helps with the digging sounds when you're scraping away at that concrete. Yep. Well, it's not even that. He he uh it is that too, but he had an it wasn't necessarily an accordion because it didn't have it didn't have the same set of keys. It was a similar type of instrument. Hmm. Um, but he converted it to um as like a bellows for like a fire. So he could pump up the, the air into it. It's yeah. fucking genius. He yeah. used that to inflate the raft and the life preservers. Well, I love it. He would still play it and to be like, hey, I'm supposed to have this. Like, it's not weird that I have this, yeah. but then one day I'm going to use this for the exact reason I want to. Yep. And then off you go. Exactly. Exactly that. So that's how it went. And then they went off. Um, uh, the, the Frank Morris and the uh, England brothers uh, hit, hit the San Francisco Bay. Right. Well, let's not forget the, the fourth man, as he was trying to get up into his vent, he felt it was too close to the guard seeing him. So he, he did, he did puss out. He out. He out. And, and well, I mean, 
we take it as he didn't get involved in the plan, but it's another variable that I'm sure that, that uh, Morris and the England brothers were, ho- were hoping he wouldn't do that because if he did get caught in the middle of it, now the, now the jig is up pretty quick. So I, they're probably pretty happy that he gave up on that because probably, he would have yeah. gotten caught immediately and that would have been fucked over for them. So mm-hmm. so that's why we don't so, know his name because he didn't make it out of, out of the actual cell block. Exactly, exactly. So they, they went to... Um... They went to sea and were never heard from again until maybe later. But overall, um, overall, that's how the escape ends. As far as we know, is that three guys got on this makeshift raft into this dangerous San Francisco Bay. where We know how rough the tides are and how nearly impossible it is to make it off the island. And they were never seen from again. And, And it is understood that they are one of those people on the list, which is presumed drowned and dead but uh, never confirmed. Well, that's what the, the warden said immediately is that they drowned. And he's like, well, they don't really There's know. There's no that. way they could have made it. They drowned. The water's too cold and the, the current's too high. It's 1.2 miles to shore. And Mythbusters decided that you could do this even without a flotation device. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It is. Like, it really, really is. And these guys were all good swimmers. They had flotation device. They had two redundancies. They had the 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 raft itself as well as their actual personal devices and um it's uh 100 possible they did this they did a recent study in 2018 that showed based off of the currents of that day they likely ended up at near the base of the golden gate bridge then were able to move from there um just based off of just the just the currents themselves like it's quite likely that they survived this And obviously there's a huge incentive for not only the prison, but also the federal government to declare them dead because, you know, it's the inescapable prison. No one wants convicts on the loose anyways, but convicts on the loose from Alcatraz, the place you go when you keep trying to escape, that's bad news for everybody. If they can't find your body or you, it's more than likely they're going to say you're dead because it's easier than saying anything else. And I thought that brings it to the more interesting part of the story, which is that are they are they dead? Did they not make it? I mean, there's so many examples of it going wrong. I think that devil's advocate both sides is that it's nearly impossible to make it off the island the way the currents work. I don't care how strong a swimmer you are. The strongest swimmers in the world can't make it off the island at certain times of day. Right. So if you know the way that the tides and currents work, we know now, and they can, luckily they can track those and they can look back, like you said, to the night of the escape and they can know exactly how the tur- the currents and tides were that night and try to figure out where they would drift off to. Uh, if you were an expert on that, there is a way where you can learn how the tides are going and you can float your way to safety. But if you don't know that, you're guaranteeing your death. There's no way you can do it without knowing. Um, and Or you can get lucky, uh, as we might and I'm see. Certain, it sounds quite clear that they knew this because they did go at a time where the tides were more relaxed. And as a ocean kayaker, I know that this is this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you can't fuck with this. You either do it right, or you do it wrong. And I've gotten myself in trouble two or three times. Yeah, and, and with a, with a kayak yeah, with kayak. paddles and it, but yeah, all thing. And- no way I could get it, what I was doing. There was just it just wasn't possible. So, um, so yeah. But if you do it right, it's like kayaking on a lake. But um, and that's near Portsmouth, which is mm. one of the top top five most crazy places to kayak in the whole world so i would say that san francisco bay has to probably be up there if you go the wrong time too based on the yeah, story no that I've yeah no like the rip currents and stuff in portsmouth are really really bad and it has a very similar layout with like a tri um tri area inlet um as san francisco it's it's just mm-hmm. like the currents 
it has the like venturi effect where they increase because of it goes from like a large opening to a small opening. narrow 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 yeah, yeah with islands in between and causes all these like whirlpools and sure yeah like, like angel island or like alcatraz yeah it'll yeah, wrap you right up in there so Overall, I firmly, firmly believe these guys made it out, no question. Wow, well, I thought when I said that there might be, it might be a chance that there's they made it. I thought that you were saying that not that's not going to happen, but you you're well, fully on board with it. Falls one hundred in my mind, based off of what I know of this, mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent certain these guys. That's so funny. I thought I was going to be the 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 bright eyed uh, boy this episode and say, hey, they could have made it. There's a lot of evidence why they could have made it, but you're just like, they made it. I watched the movie. They made it, motherfucker. No, no, in the movie, they don't even talk about that. It just ends at that point. Like you don't even see. Oh, they don't even. Thoughts. They don't see what happens. They just go in the dark and then. I like, like that. It's like you get to decide for yourself what happened. Yeah, I like when movies end like that. But based off the evidence. Um, I don't, that's not enough evidence for me. I, I've seen more evidence than that as far as uh, reports of a car driving recklessly uh, stolen off of the uh, the San Francisco urban area uh, just that very night. I figured maybe they got up a hijacked a car. The England brothers have been known to do rash actions like that. Some people have photographs of them. Their mom kept getting messages from them in the mail for years and years afterwards. Obviously, could be a fake. I mean, there's no that's not really solid proof but these are all little breadcrumbs to be like you know i wouldn't say it's you know a a closed case that that they all died that night i mean if ever there was a case that someone made it it seems to be these three guys so the thing is it's just there's been multiple studies it's possible even without a raft at the Mm -hmm. right time this can you can do it yeah, well, let, let me lead you into, don't forget this story, but I just want to give our last example here just to lead it into that it is possible, which is our the friends. exact same year uh, in the winter of that year. So the wintry cold, uh, as colder than San Francisco gets, we have December 1962, what I like to call a just keep swimming escape. Two men cut the bars in the kitchen with a makeshift saw and made for the water. I'm talking about Dar Lee Parker and John Paul Scott. And they had a lot less planning and a lot less ingenuity as the last story. And they just figured, let's take a dive and see if we can't swim our way out. Mm-hmm. Darlie Parker makes it 81 yards from the island and gets hanging onto a small rock. They find him there and nab him up right away. While John Paul Scott swam all the way from Alcatraz to the Golden Gate Bridge, where we're assuming that maybe the previous three might have tied it up if they were lucky. And he was found there on shore, exhausted and hypothermic, but he swam the whole way there. No flotation devices at all. No paper mache heads, no intricacies of the dust. He just, he cut the bars and off they went. And the guy made it the whole way there. They obviously brought him back because he was he going to die. And they said, Hey, like it was, just, he would have been, he probably would have made it if they said like a bunch of students just thought they're doing a good thing. Like, Hey, there's a guy here who's like not responsive. Um, mm. You know, in the ambulance and then like oh it's the it's from alcatraz exactly if they just took him in themselves he could have made it out but unfortunately they realized it right away that it was him but yeah i thought that was interesting plus the fact that the last uh escape the most famous escape they are calculating now or presuming that it took about two years to plan the whole thing out before they so i mean that's a lot more that's a lot more prep and the amount of time of digging it out and dumping the cement out your sleeve and the whole thing i mean that's a long time uh, to do that but proven by just that example right now two inmates there tried it and one of them swam all the way to the shore on his own volition in the winter time and not knowing the way the tides work out so it, it can be done just just to launch into our final segment here for sure yeah 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It can be. Done. They want you to believe it's impossible, and it all—it almost is nearly impossible. But they don't want to admit that you could do it um, because that's just bad for business. They also said there used to be sharks surrounding the island. Yeah. There's no evidence for that at all. But it's more of the propaganda. You can never leave this island. It's yeah, haunted. The, the, you the know. Greenway shark thing comes up almost always. It's like, really? Yeah. There's very little evidence that there's ever been. Uh, yeah, sharks sure. have been a problem. I mean, I mean, sharks are in the bay. It's not like it's being, it's not like an evil villain lair that's surrounded by sharks like a moda. Sharks aren't going to be your problem if you dive off of Alcatraz. It's going to be hypothermia and exhaustion and probably going to drown unless you know exactly how the tides work and you're a strong swimmer, um, which, uh, which it can be done. Like, like you mentioned, I mean, even to this very day, they have an annual uh, swimming to Alcatraz event in San Francisco. They pick the perfect day in the year, the perfect tides for it. It's calm water and whoever wants to sign up for it, they're, they're allowed to do it. And they, they swim, they swim, uh, to, to the bay from there and obviously it's not that it's not crazy you know? yeah i mean it's it's very difficult for someone who's not good at swimming and, and they, you have to sign up you have to qualify for it like a marathon because they're worried that you might be but if you do they let you do it i mean it can be done you you swim a, a yeah less than less than two miles and you, you get it yeah. done you know? get done so it can so, be done the interesting things to wrap up these the anglin brothers and, and frank morris is that please um, in, uh, the mid two thousands, um, there was a letter to the FBI, um, that said, my name is John Angland. I escaped from Alcatraz in 1962 with my brother, Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and I'm in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we made it that night, but barely. The letter wow. states that Frank Morris and Charles Angland passed away in 2005 and 2008, respectively. The author then goes on to give himself up to authorities in exchange for medical treatment in a one-year prison sentence. Wow. The authorities would need to make the announcement on TV. Then the author states that I will write back to let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. FBI didn't take it seriously. Sure. But a lot of um, former FBI agents and stuff like that said that they should have. Um, and... Uh, this right, that, that very well could have been a, a serious note to take, but I also want to devil's advocate as I always do, take into account how many letters were sent from 1962 oh to 2000 saying, I am the guy who made it out and I made it out alive. Like those D.B. Cooper letters that mm -hmm. so many of them came very in. Very similar case, yeah. So, so famous that even if a real one came in, it's the boy who cried wolf. So even if you are one of the England brothers, they're not going to take you seriously, unfortunately. Exactly. But there was a photo that um, the family held onto for 20 or 30 years of John and Clarence Anglin. Um, yeah, that's a crazy in Brazil photo. in 1975. Um, uh, another same thing, another uh, FBI agent said, this is the best evidence we ever have. I can't disprove this image. It looks quite similar. They used recently over the past five years, AI to, to go over the facial, like facial recognition Right. Thing yeah. And said that it's almost positively them. I, that's the most interesting outcome to me because there's no way they would have been able to be hanging out in America still after that massive escape. Yeah. I'm thinking of things like, like Morris, who already had escaped and went back to bank robbing. I can't imagine him going 40 years not robbing a bank or not committing any more crimes or being at least on the radar. I mean, escaping in Louisiana, nothing at becoming the guy who escaped Alcatraz. You're a huge target on your head. So, if it does turn out they did go to Brazil or another country, 
I'd be much more inclined to believe that they made it out than to say that they were hanging out in California the whole time, just keeping a low profile with a Groucho Marx nose and mustache on. Unlikely. But yeah, if they did make a break for the border, especially in the yeah. 60s. Absolutely. Yeah. Could be. I, I really, I really absolutely think so. And the thing is, like, the photo is so anticlimactic. Like, it's like, it's almost like these two out of shape 70s porn stars. Right. I'm not sure how they knew it was them. It's the, the AI recognition is a big part of that. But the fact That's that the FBI takes so much credence to it, it, it kind of seems like a crazy like Photoshop thing that someone tried to throw together, but it's not. It's it's a photo from not that. even close. Like you go, you go, uh, this looks again, like I said, like two truckers. You have the photo, right? I don't want to talk about it so much if I can put Oh, it I have up. the photo. Yeah, I've seen it, but I don't remember how to find it. I've got, got the photo. Um, it looks right like folks. two two truckers who are like out of shape, kind of fat, um, but whatever but you go it does sort of look like them but not really because it's it's a couple it's years later it's you know sure. almost 20 years later yeah um and how and, can you not tell anybody either if you're in brazil maybe you tell people they don't know there's no cell phones but how do you not tell anybody hey by the way i'm one of the guys who escaped from alcatraz it must be so hard not to say anything yeah it's crazy so again with with modern day ai they're like this is them like it's this is it. This is him. Frank Morris, they don't have, he must have just went, yeah, fuck the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not going back to jail. I spent, again, two years preparing for this after spending mm. the majority of my life in prison. He's that's, probably, that's God knows where he is, but, mm. um, but, but, but it says that, that this guy, I think John wrote the letter, I forget who wrote it, said that he, the only one left, I think was, it was Clarence. Um, the letter, the letter is John. So John is the one who wrote the letter and said that he said that Clarence and Frank died in 2005, 2008. Yes. So he knows, he yeah. knows where Frank, Frank died. died. Five. Why Clarence would he know that? Why would he know where Frank died? He had him on his like close friends. Yeah, maybe I don't like that. I like him knowing when his brother died, obviously, because they probably escaped together. Yeah. Why would he know when Frank died? Yeah, I don't think he'd know Frank even closer than the American government would when they're on the hunt for them for years. That seems sketchy, but the rest of it seems pretty legit to me. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it seems quite legit. And again, these guys had, you know, they're one of 13, each of them. So their siblings, you know, knew some stuff is it's just. A lot of people kept like, quiet, but yeah. um, it doesn't take that many people, people to keep this quiet. Unlike a lot of things we've talked in the podcast in the past, mm-hmm. this is a very small uh, tight knit circle and the less people you tell the better. Yeah, exactly. And John and um, uh, John and Clarence signed letters. Um, like the the family members had interviews, and they then John and Clarence signed the letters like di- with different names, like like Mick and Mickey Moby or something, right? Yeah. Also, it must help you a little bit that even though the government's still after you, you've been declared dead. It's a lot easier to get around as if you're not you than if you're an active fugitive in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, go be madman. Go find a guy that died and then just don't say he died and say you're him. Spoiler alert. Easy. <laughs> that was like season two. It was not I, know, I know, I know. But just go pretend you're a dead guy who, did, who is actually dead but is not dead. So then after those, those two most recent escapes we talked about, Times were tough for the most infamous prison in America, and it was extremely expensive to operate. It was relatively three times more expensive than any federal prison in the country, and you, they held, like you said, not even full capacity. 
it was more of an icon and like a symbol of the prison system than it was a efficient facility for housing criminals. Of course, if people are escaping a lot of times, it's a good way to keep them from stopping doing that. But the prison system isn't completely built to keep escapees from getting out. And after years of disrepair, never had a, a refurbishment to this thing. It's been that old military fort plus putting cell blocks on it, that ocean wind, the neglect. And last year, there was an escape attempt by six people and Three of them, we have no idea where the fuck they are. I mean, that's just not a good look. And good. in 1963, on top of a bunch of more reasons that are more boring, on top of that, they uh, they shut down the federal prison in Alcatraz for good. And even though the buildings still stand today in shitty shape with a tour guide and a gift shop, it's never been a prison ever since 1963. That was the last year Alcatraz ever housed a proper criminal. Yeah. And they say, I mean, you, you said it perfectly is that um, it sounds like it was the England brothers and Frank Morris kind of shut down, but they actually had plans to shut it down before the escape. Yeah. More the cherry on top Three times more expensive than any other prison in the United States, because it's on an Island. They have to ship, they have to take so water, inefficient. Water. They have to bring yeah. water on boats there for people to drink. Like it's, yeah, it's just real rough. Like I said it's more it's like a loss leader as you run a company you have like your a it's like putting an apple store in you don't make money at the apple store it's more of a marketing ploy be like oh we're, we're a presence here and alcatraz was the presence of the federal justice system saying if you're a bad boy try to break out try to be a bad boy you're going here to the rock you never get off the rock it's like showing the dungeon to the people in the medieval peasants go you're going there Obviously, the dungeon can't house everyone who does wrong, and Alcatraz can't stop every criminal in the United States. It was more of a symbol um, of, as what that would be, and unfortunately, you can't keep that up forever, especially when people are finding a way off the inescapable prison of Alcatraz. That's it. Exactly. The lost leader of the prison system, Alcatraz. You <laughs> nailed true. it. There it goes, coming from the island of Pelicans all the way to, to the rock. And now it's uh, a tourist attraction where you can go to now. It's, it's hard to get a booking there because it's so small of a facility. You have to take a ferry over there, so you have to book it in advance. But you can go check it out for yourself. And you can see the bullet holes at the Battle of Alcatraz. You can sit in Al Capone's old cell. You can see where the bird man used to speak to the birds. And you can even see a recreation of Morris's cell with the paper mache and the blankets and all. It's just wild. If you can't make it that far, you can go to the uh, old Gale in York, Maine to go look at some other escape attempts in local jails. <laughs> or um, drive by all the other prisons in the area. Or make sure to listen to uh, the album. Oh, you can't see it. Fuck. Okay, I was going to say, It's Rough by Villain. Their album cover is a jail. Okay, yeah, Villain's awesome. If you haven't Villain, heard of it. It's Rough album cover. It's a jail. Modern day jail. But that's it, boys and girls. That's uh, Alcatraz for you. All right, I guess we're done here. I'm going to go pee. Oh, Joe, no one can see you. Oh, Joe's in cuffs. I want a fucking lawyer. I want my fucking lawyer. I ain't talking to you any longer. <laughs> plead the fifth which means you don't have to talk that's the dylan joe basement prison edition 
Friday night special podcast. <laughs> where, where you're hosting on night Friday. Dylan and show. Joe. <laughs> Dylan and prisoner. Prisoner Dylan, prisoner. We'll see you next week. We're going to have a special guest on. <laughs> fucking maybe. We fucking sort of promise. I got to get off this rock, man. I mean it this time. Let's get back into it. Let me pull up the fucking voice. All right. Here's the fucking voice. All right. Everyone. We have you hear that? You're like, I'm just escaping from prison. Yeah, it's like a gown, too. Like, all the way down. She, like, blows out your chest. You're like, ugh, damn it. This didn't work out. They bury you in the gown you made. At least you made it yourself. You're wearing a women's dress and you just get your arm blown off. Shit. You're like, you're like, I know I go like this. Oh, God damn. Yeah, and the guy, and the men. Right in the bustier. Fucking, ah. Oh, yeah, and the men back then were just like what you just did. They're so hardcore. Like, yeah, pimp in Alaska. In 1909. <laughs> Didn't even know that was a thing, but in Alaska. Goes, yeah, <laughs> you know. for, for, I don't know if it's even more popular now than it was then. I don't people even lived in Alaska at the time. Yeah, and you just think of pimps as like, you know, Hat, whatever it is, and maybe that's- <laughs> yeah, but he's got like the he's got the uh, the Russian hat with the animal fur on it. And he's like, Hey, baby, when I tell you to mush, you fucking mush. You got it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give you my ring hand, yeah, no, for real.